Welcome to the Gen X Mixtape, a nostalgic podcast dedicated to the art of making mixtapes and the Gen Xers who made them. This week's theme is Back to School, and Alan and I will be curating a mixtape centered around the return to the hallowed halls of learning. That is correct, and as we've said on many of our prior episodes, uh, Dave and I are both teachers, so you know we have a personal investment in, in this uh, episode. The, the songs, you know, and they speak uh, very honestly uh, about the situation, both from the students and teachers' uh, points of view. At least mine do. I would assume you yes. have you have some of that as well. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's this is a playlist that really this this mixtape means a lot to me. I mean, it's, you know, my livelihood, but it's also my love and my calling. So uh, putting together the songs, it, it really was just, I always I always have fun choosing the songs, but this one, I really wanted to make sure that the songs that I chose were, you know, very, very personally meaningful, that I makes guess. Sense. So, yeah, yeah, we we've chosen a career that has allowed us to have a summer break our entire lives, right? Think about that. Most people, of course, you have your summer break in in, in actual public school or, or whatever, in elementary through high school. And then, you know, if you go off to college, most people take that summer term off. And then you have to kind of, you know, you get a real job. And now, depending on how long you work for a company, you might have a couple of weeks vacation or you might build up to, to, to four or six weeks vacation. But, you know, we have chosen a career. It's one of the, the perks. Uh, where, you know, it used to be a little bit longer, but we still have about a 10 solid week break in the summertime. And so that idea of returning back to school is something that's still kind of special and emotional for us. I would imagine someone kind of working through the year like normal, it's just kind of another season. But for us, I mean, I mean, think about it. It's back to school, shopping commercials start appearing on the television earlier and earlier every year too. They do. Yeah. <laughs> it used to be, you know, mid-August you'd start seeing those Target commercials and now I think you start seeing them at the beginning of July. Uh, it's, you know, Friday Night Football games, which I just love. I love football to begin with. But there's something about that, the fall weather beginning to turn colder and all of the kids in the community, the students, teachers, everybody, you know, in the stadium and the sounds of the band and the football team. I mean, there's nothing like parking your car and, and just walking the few blocks to the stadium and just hearing the band kind of reverberate off the houses. And it's just a great, great feeling. Absolutely. Um, and then, you know, students in their new clothes. That's one thing I always try to be cog- cognizant of. That that first day of school, and, and I te- we're both middle school. Yes. That first day of school, you know that most of those students had that outfit picked out. I mean, there, there's there's a lot of thought behind what they're wearing that day. <laughs> Always. Any other day, it might just be whatever they happen to throw on that morning. But you know that first day outfit is something, especially for the girls, is something that they have planned. They're, a, they're making a statement with that outfit. And I just think that's, you know, it's interesting. There's like a whole other microcosm world that a lot of times we don't hone into as teachers, things that we just are kind of oblivious to. Right. So I try to once in a while dial into their world, and that's one thing that I noticed is that, yeah, they're they're dressing that way on purpose. They're making a statement. Oh, very much. And I, I would even argue that uh, they dress that way more for the girls than they do for the boys. I mean, you know, there is... Oh, yeah, of course. There, there, there is definitely... Uh, you know that that longing to be accepted and 
you know, with, with the mean girls and the bullying so being so prevalent, you know, that a lot of thought goes into how they look. And Way to make which, a negative, which, Alan. Which, way to go to, well, the, I was gonna say, to the worst part of middle well, school. Well, but I was going to say, you know, it's, it's really unfortunate it is, that, it they, is, it that is. they invest so much time in, in planning their, their opening day attire. Um, no, you're right. But, no, I, I, you know, football, you bring up football, it's an interesting point. I, neither of us live in the district in which we teach. Uh, you actually you teach in the district that I live in. My my own uh, sons attended your your district. Um, I just I never wanted to live in the district I taught in because I didn't want my students in my house. And you know, should my my boys have been popular and, and they've proven to be, I, I didn't want our house to be the you know that focal point where students start coming in and then. You know, heaven forbid my son start dating, you know, one of my students, and then there's the the relationship that that entanglement. Um, but football games were difficult for me for a while uh, because my my older son was in the marching band, and you know he you know your own family trumps your stu- I love my students. Nothing I would not do for them. I'd take a bullet for them. But when your son is playing in the marching band for, in the district in which you live. I really did not, there, there was about a four-year period, he's graduated now, that I could not attend um, you know, the, the football games to watch my students play, um, and let, well, until you know, the two schools uh, actually played one another. Now, you know, it's, it's, it's wonderful. I, I actually get to go to the, to the football games again and, and you know, interact with my students. It was something that I missed for about four years. Um, yeah, it, you're right. I, the beginning of school, it's something I look forward to immensely. I Once once the fireworks are over on the 4th of July every year, you know, there, there, there is a, a subtle depression that sets in because it's just the realization, for whatever reason, the back half of that summer vacation just seems to fly. And, you know, it's just, you know, vacation is almost over when, in fact, it, it's not. We still have five or six weeks left. But... Even as I'm, you know, counting down the days in the calendar and, and appreciating the the last the last few days of, of vacation and freedom, I, I have to admit I, I am so excited every year to get back. I, I I just love what I do, and you know the students. I cannot wait uh, to see my students this year. It's it, it's always the highlight for me. Yeah, no, it's, it's it's an exciting feeling that I wish I still had come February. <laughs> well, and yes. February is the hardest month. Fe- yeah, February. You get past that, tough. and then 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 the end of the year is fun too. But that that deep winter, especially here in Northeast Ohio, is a bit challenging. Yeah, but. the end of the year is is always, I mean, if it, it goes by very quickly, and the enthusiasm is you know, it's returned. But to me, it's always very sad. Uh, time of the year. I'm now uh, teaching the honors courses. I'm, I'm the only honors teacher, so I have both grades. And I have the majority of my students for, for two years in a row. So, and I always say my, you know, my students are my kids. Uh, but when you have a relationship over a two-year period, they they genuinely, you know, are, are a part of me. And saying goodbye, it, it's, it's tough. Yeah, sure is. All right. Well, shall we begin with our mixtape? Absolutely. Let's do it. What criteria did you use to choose your songs? Well, for the songs on my list, they had to be high school specific. I, you and I both started teaching at the high school level and, and then dropped to middle school. Um, 
Oh, I don't know that it'd be high school. A lot of these songs definitely relate to middle school as well. But I, I did not use any songs that were collegiate-themed. Um, you know, there are a number of songs about going off to college. I figured I'd save those. Someday, I, have, I assume, we'll do a graduation um, you know, episode, and in which case, I'll, you know, those would be more fitting. So it's definitely middle or high school level. I tried to really hone in on the culture. I, I have songs... You know, from the teachers, uh, both good and bad. I have, I have songs about the students, about the cliques, about, you know, they, it's just all inclusive. But, but it has to be, uh, you know, something that, that is relatable. Uh, anybody in our audience, you know, ha- that has attended school should be able to understand why these songs made the list. Yeah, I'm similar. I, I'm sure if I restricted it just to, to high school, to K-12, I know there's one of my alternates specifically that, that is probably more collegiate related. You know what? But. I, take, I take that back. I do have one song that is elementary specific. Okay. I, I forgot about that one. Yeah, so no, I, got, I, I do too. Probably yeah. the same song. So, yeah, it, it is K-12. through I, I totally forgot. Which I don't think that's a big up. deal because we're no, back no, to school. So to me, yeah. it doesn't matter if it's your kindergarten or if you're in master's, <laughs> you're taking your master's degree. Um, yeah, mine were simply just about songs about school culture or learning in general. Yeah. So I even have some songs that may not be specifically about a institution of learning, but is about learning in, in general. Okay. Academic learning. Yeah, I would, I would say mine, mine reflect that as well. Yeah, I totally forgot about the, the one song on my list. So, um, all right, well, it's your turn to go I think, first. Yep, this it week. is. So I have a few um, obvious ones that... I'm going to, you know, probably, I probably stack them at the top of the list. I usually do that so we can kind of get those out there. These are songs that people are going to expect. Now, we don't always choose songs that people expect if we don't like them. That's true. <laughs> so these are all songs I like, and I'm glad to put them on the uh, on the mixtape. And the first one uh, is, I don't know, arguably the the classic school song by Chuck Berry. We have a match. Yep, I figured we would. It's my, yeah, yep. <laughs> and that is School Days. School Day. Uh, yeah. uh, there's an alternate. Sometimes it's it's marked school day and it's subtitled Ring Ring Goes the Bell. But most people just refer to it as school days. And that came out in 1957 um, from his album After School Session. And this song is it's not only famous because it's about school. You know, it, it's it starts off uh, in, up in the morning and off to school. So I, I thought it would be a good idea to start maybe even start the mixtape, I don't know, but at least start my list because it starts in the morning and so we're getting things going here. And not only is it you know, popular because of its school theme, but because of the line, hail, hail, rock and roll. Up in the morning and out to school The teacher is teaching the golden rule American history and practical man You study him hard and hoping to pass Working your fingers right down to the bone And the guy behind you won't leave you alone Ring, ring goes the bell If you're cooking the lunchroom's ready to sell You're lucky if you can find a seat You're fortunate if you have time to eat Back in the classroom, open your books Keep it, the teacher don't know how mean she looks rolls around You finally lay your burden down Close up your books, get out of your seat Down the halls and into the street Up to the corner and round the bend Right to the juke joint you go in 
went to number five, so it wasn't even a number one hit, but it is one of those quintessential Chuck Berry early rock and roll songs that most people know. And I think it's been used in some commercials along the way too, so people probably know it from that. Um, I you know, famously mishear lyrics all the time. When I was a, I don't know, kid or whenever I heard it the first time, it might have been you that introduced it to me in high school. Uh, I always heard it as uh, put, put the corn into the slot, and I thought it was about a school in <laughs> Iowa. <laughs> Or something, and I'm like, "What is really? what's going on in Iowa with corn?" Until I thought, "No, he's saying coin. He's saying coin. It's a jukebox. Put a coin into the slot." Yes, I'm such an idiot. <laughs> really, you thought that? that I did. That's too <laughs> funny. Um, well, yeah, School Day. I, you know, I, there's so much you can say about this song. Really, for as short as it is, and for being, you know, just an oldie but goodie. Um, yeah, Barry's guitar. You know, it, it opens the song, and it repeats the same chord as rapidly as as a jackhammer, really. Um, or the sound of an alarm going off, uh, which is appropriate given that, you know, it begins waking up for, for the new day. Uh, yeah, I always assumed it was supposed to mimic an alarm yeah. clock. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, then he delivers the first line with that swooping note sliding upwards, perfectly paralleling the movement of the words up in the morning and out to school. I mean, it, it's timed perfectly. And lyrically, the song works as a direct expression of the mission of rock and roll music as a liberating force because it frees a generation from a value system that places structure, discipline, and rote learning at the top of its pyramid, and it releases it to a new world dominated by passion and feeling. Um, yeah, the first two verses describe the oppression of the school day, uh, being subject to authority. Did you say impression or oppression? Oppression. Okay. Yes. All right. Uh, because, you know, you're, you're being sub- the subject to authority, the, the regimented schedule of classes, the competition with the jostling crowd at the school. And then the next two verses offer release from all these constraints. As soon as three o'clock rolls around, you finally lay your burden down. And then the scene at the juke joint is joyful and energetic even though he's putting corn into the slide. But yeah, it, it's, it, you know, it's in stark contrast to the school day. And in particular, then, there is a contrast between the rigid structure of the school routine and the emotional freedom offered by rock music and its associated environment. Um, to fully appreciate the first line of the song, though, you need to compare it to the first line of the last verse. Because Hail, Hail, Rock and Roll, you know, note that, you know, for ostensibly the same melody, you have only five syllables in that last verse. But there's a total of nine syllables in the first. And I don't think it's just a matter of convenience or sloppiness. I think the crowded syllables really, in that first verse, perfectly represent the hectic day at school, while the clean and graceful melody of the last verse represents the unfettered freedom and you say music. I read too much in this. No, I know that, that it makes sense. It no, does. I, well, Chuck Berry, he was very prolific, and I, he he really did, you know, plan. Yeah, in, no, I in, I, in these I, measures, I agree so. with that. Yeah, and then the structure of the song is worth mentioning as well. There's there's no repeated chorus at the end of each verse. Berry easily sacrifices this pop convention, and he seemingly seemingly it's it's in order to make room for a couple of extra verses. Neither is there a bridge. And instead, Barry subtly varies the melody from verse to verse, adding extra syllables at times, as, as already noted. And he also uses his guitar to echo and comment on each vocal line. And the variations here are more more than enough to hold the, the listener's interest. And in place of the bridge, he has an instrumental break featuring his guitar. There's there's that you know solo there. Um, given the theme of the song, Barry's rocking guitar solo works perfectly. 
and it sets words to action and plays something really hot, like like he describes at the juke joint, letting the listener feel the music in addition to understanding the words. It's it's just it is. I would argue it's probably one of the greatest rock and roll songs ever recorded. Now you would know this. Um, you might know this. I don't know. Is this is this the first time that actual term rock and roll appeared in a rock and roll song? That I'm. I'm not well, rock. Rock certainly appeared before School Day. I mean, beginning with Rock Around the Clock. Bill right, Haley, right, Bill right, Haley right. is credited for using sure. using it first. But rock and roll. Rock and roll. Because Alan, that's Alan. Alan Freed coined Alan, that yes, as Alan, rock and roll. Yes, uh, though he termed the the race rec- they were called race records um, that he played on his his show his his radio show in Cleveland WJW uh, AM. Um, and he, he coined you know the music rock and roll. That's how Cleveland got the rock hall, um, one of the reasons. And th- there are a number of songs that do have rock and roll in the lyrics from the 50s. I would have to look at, if it wasn't the first, it was certainly one of. Right. The only other song that may have beaten it, but I think Chuck Berry came first, would be Rock and Roll's Here to Stay, which was a, a doo-wop song. And then, you know, in the 70s during that revival, Sean and Al Sean and Al, right, right. You know, I, I want to say that was... 58 or 59, but I, I don't know. It's possible. Know. I'd have to look it up. But um, certainly it is It is one of the first. I would not be surprised at all if, if it was the first. I, Chuck Berry didn't coin the term. No, no, but, but to, to actually, to use, actually it use it yeah. in the song. You know, it would be interesting some at some time, it just brings up a good point, to actually have a, a mixtape theme of rock and roll songs, yeah. which which include rock or rock and roll in the title that that, that would be a, be a good one yeah, yeah. so mark that down and it you know wouldn't be as eclectic it would all be rock and roll <laughs> but i i'm perfectly okay with that okay um yeah no we have a match uh, first one right out the gate so okay well my first song is uh it, it's an 80s tune uh, we're, we're right there uh very gen x here uh the lyrics Go. I study nuclear science. And we have a match. I love my classes. I got a crazy teacher. He wears dark glasses and things are going great. They're only getting better. I'm doing all right. Getting good grades. The future's so bright. I got to wear shades. Um, another match. Yeah, yeah. Another match from the one hit wonder. Yes, they were. Tim, Tim Buck, Buck three. three. Yeah, the future's so bright. I got to wear shades. You know, the inspiration for the song and the title specifically came when Barbara McDonald uh, said to her husband, singer-songwriter Pat McDonald, the future is looking so bright, what, to wear sunglasses, is what she said. Um, She made the comment uh, in earnest, actually. It was the early 80s. The two had met and they were married. They started a family. The first EP was coming because they recorded together. They were a duo who, who recorded music. Their book was filling up with gigs. And Pat, though, heard the comment as an ironic quip, and he wrote down instead, the future's so bright, I gotta wear shades. And from there, the lyrics to the song were born, but not to the song as it ended up in the minds of popular culture. This, this is the most interesting part. Um, Pat actually wrote a song about a, a young nuclear scientist and, and his rich future, uh, you know, but listening audiences heard a graduation theme song, really. But McDonald has said that the meaning of the song was widely misinterpreted as a positive perspective in regards to the near future. Apparently, it was contrary to popular belief. It was a grim 
outlook. Did you, did you come across? Well, this yeah, and, and there were there were two verses that were omitted. Yes, because he felt they were a little too heavy-handed. That would have made his intention very clear. Yes, absolutely. so it is a little bit ambiguous. But if you look at the lyrics closely, or you listen closely, you can still see there you are can. hints to what he's actually talking about. Yeah, I, while not saying so directly, folks, he he hinted at the idea that the bright future was in fact due to an impending nuclear holocaust. Um, you know, and the job waiting after graduation, you know, nuclear science, uh, it signified the, the demand for nuclear scientists to facilitate such events. And, and Pat drew upon the multitude of past predictions, which, you know, transcended several cultures that foreshadowed the world ending in the 80s. I mean, people have continued to think as such, you know. Right up to and including COVID now. But like we um, mentioned too, like the mid 80s, we talked about this with, you know, Rocky Four. Yeah. And we talked about this with several other songs, especially during the 4th of July episode, that the, the mid 80s was kind of, I don't want to say the height of the Cold War, because obviously there were different periods in time over the 30 or 40 years before that, whatever, between the, the late 50s and, and, and through the late 80s when. You know, the wall finally finally fell and the USSR was disintegrated. But it seemed like the, the mid-80s was one of those fever pitch times for kind of rallying, or either rallying around the flag or really signing the warning that, boy, this nuclear arms race is going to get out of hand and we're all going to kill ourselves if we're not careful. Absolutely. I guarantee you remember the night that the miniseries, or it might have just been a one, oh, yes, a yes. one night special. I don't remember, but something tells me. I, my mom miniseries. didn't let me watch it. Really? I, my, we were assigned to watch it. The teacher actually assigned it. We had to watch the show. A lot of parents were very upset by that. Um, it, it, the show, were, the, I'm fairly confident it was a miniseries, but I could be wrong. It was titled The Day After. Right. And it uh, kind of showed... Um, as scientifically accurate as you know, they were able to, with, with the to limited made-for-TV graphics yeah, exactly. of the time, yeah, they, they did not have a, you know a wide budget. But it, the episode or the 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 miniseries, whatever it was, showed uh, you know nuclear war and then the fallout that immediately came after and how it affected. Uh, the United States, and it was, it was brutal. Well, and and there was a key scene, and this is the reason why I wasn't allowed to watch it, because, you know, the news hyped it. And, oh, absolutely. You know, don't let your children watch this, but you actually see people disintegrating. It, it, 
I don't want to say it's humorous because it's not humorous watching people disintegrate, but the graphics are are, are, are pretty humorous. If you go go onto YouTube and, and and look up, you know, the day after, and you can find the clip where you know the bomb hits and people turn to skeletons, and it it is pretty pretty chintzy. But at the time, you know, it, especially when. Not that we're still not under the threat of any time, you know, having oh, some type of, of, of nuclear conflict. Question. But at the time, especially because it was really, you know, like, like we talked about, you had people a little more on the left that were really trying to warn us from, from, from escalating this. And then you had people maybe on the right that were really drumming up the fact that, hey, look at this. We're powerful. We're a superpower. We're in control. And yeah, when you lived under that possible threat or you know what have you when a when a show comes out like that it's a little bit scary when you think that this could happen at any time oh, it, it is but you know we we weren't the generation that that endured you know, air raid drills under their desks Correct. either right i think the 50s and the 60s I, when you think you know the cuban missile crisis i you know i i never felt impending doom as an 80s kid uh, i was very much aware of the cold war but i to hear my my father's you know and and my father's generation and just my dad, you know, his stories uh, themselves. It was a terrifying time for right. the boomers. Yep. I mean, they, they really did believe that it was going to come. And fortunately, it did not. Um, now well, I, and you were only 15 years removed from Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Yeah. And so it was very fresh in people's minds oh. what a nuclear bomb could do. Yeah. Yeah. My dad was born in 47. And yeah, he just, yeah, it... it I don't know. I can't imagine, you know, the the terrors that, uh, you know, kids are kids of that generation. What right. what, what they must have felt. So. But but regardless, like you mentioned, this song kind of became a graduation anthem. It did, and uh, it it will forever be cemented as a high school, high school or college or, even. Or college, I don't know how many yeah. high school kids study, study nuclear, nuclear science. science but. True. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, but, it, for the, it, but for the chorus, the high school kids latched onto absolutely, as well. Yeah. And it will forever stay that way. All right. So my number two choice, another obvious one from my favorite, the Beach Boys. It is on, on my alternates list. Okay. I, I, I trusted you would have it. So yes. I, I, I placed this it on is my alternates. Be true to your school. Yeah. Which version did you go with? Then yeah, I'm going to talk about that. Uh, there were two versions. The, the, the version on Little Deuce Coop, uh, which came out in 1963, is I don't know um, a little bit slower maybe a little bit in a different key I I prefer that version yeah I, I really do oh I do too I I, I much prefer it to the cheerleaders and yeah they and, did yeah. they they released then a, a slightly faster tempoed uh, version with cheerleaders uh, overlaid as the single right uh, in my room incidentally which is the better song was on the flip side yes, <laughs> of that single. So yeah, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna uh, recommend that we choose the album version. I am good with that, even though it's the ver- maybe a version that most people aren't familiar with. Yeah, no, I'm I'm 100 behind you on that. But I think I, it's better. I just uh, it, w- it was written by Brian Wilson and Mike Love uh, back in the day when they still spoke. <laughs> yeah, they got along and then. Um, and it was it was basically written as a tribute to their high school, uh, which was Hawthorne High School in California, and it. Also includes the uh, Wisconsin um, fight song, which incidentally, you know, most high schools adopt their fight song from some other school. Like, for instance, our fight song was the same as, as Ohio State. Correct. And so um, Hawthorne High's fight song was Wisconsin's fight song, and so that's also included as well. But you know, <laughs> I, I love it. I didn't grow up. Obviously, we didn't grow up in the '60s, and I'm sure it wasn't the same as as the stereotype now. 
but you get this idea of you know the the athletes walking around with their Letterman sweaters, and and you have your girls dressed up in you know these the early '60s garb. I'm sure it was past poodle skirts, but you know that that early '60s look. Oh yeah, and. You know, not that, I mean, there's a lot of school spirit. I mean, high school kids are crazy today. They dress up in morph suits and makeup and, you know, all sorts of things. But back then, I don't know, it just felt a little bit different. You know, it, it, people would participate in, in the different kinds of cheers and, and so forth. And, and so it just reminds me of this kind of nostalgic throwback to that happy days era yes. of school. Well, and you're right. School spirit still exists without question but uh, the student section even even at football games has continued to get smaller i think with each passing year fewer that there are, there are more students who just aren't interested in being a part of the school community correct those that are are those that are still interested are very interested they're, and have a lot of fun yes but those are the same kind of kids that go on to college and they do the same thing they show up in the student section and they right. wear outrageous costumes but you're right it may have been more of a social expectation back in the 60s that everybody went to a football game on Friday nights. And clearly there are lots of students that that just isn't their thing. Right. And they would never think twice about showing up at a football game. Yeah. And from what I understand, you know, again, just hearing stories from generations that came before us, you know, that wasn't really the case. I mean, the entire school would come out or very nearly the entire school. So I I don't know if the individuality, I, I champion individuality and, you know, if sports aren't your thing. If you're one of the art, you know, the art students, for instance, and you feel that you don't get recognition, it's all about the sports. Uh, we come from Stark County, trust me, it is all about the sports if you're talking about the city schools in Stark County. Um, but I, I don't know. I it, it really is, there's just something so, you know, riveting about watching students you know, get involved and, and just that extracurricular, you know, commitment and, and just the, the pure unbridled joy of supporting your school. It's it's a great it's a great feeling and and it's a social thing as well. I it mean is. I know now like when my kids went through high school, neither of my now my son's a football fan, but you know, they, neither of them were really that into the high school football culture, but they would go on Friday nights to walk around and see their friends and right. catch up and it's so it's a so in fact I'm glad that kind of uh, that that's still around because more and more socially now kids are only interacting online. Yes, and they're act, interacting through apps and or through video games, which again it's fine and has its place. But I like the fact that they are still showing up physically and seeing one another and right. hanging out at the football game. Yeah, neither of my boys are football fans. That um, they both they they follow in their father's footsteps. It's all baseball. We were diehard Tribe fans. Uh, my older son he was in the marching band, so he was at every football game. But he was on drumline, so they just kind of did their own thing. He, he really is not a football fan. My younger son does go to the games, but like you said, he just walks around with friends and, and you know talks most of the time. I, I don't think he's ever looked at the field. He may not even know the rules of football. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but no, I want to thank you for not choosing the cheerleaders. Uh, that that you know single version, the chant, push them back, push them back, way back. Well, even it's, that. I mean, that's 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 part of it. But it I just is. think musically, the arrangement's much more interesting on the album version. No, I agree. I do.
until 1994, uh, when Mike Love won a lawsuit awarding him composure credit on, on this song and on 34 other Beach Boys songs, um, Brian Wilson was the only credited songwriter on the track. And the publishing rights to those songs were administered by Brian's father, Murray Wilson. Um, and Love claims that, you know, Murray Wilson often just left him off the credits. I mean, because he was a cousin, but, he, but yes, you know, he, he wasn't, wasn't one of the Wilson boys, boys right? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm no fan of Mike Love, but, you know, I do remember when he, when he went to court to get his name on the on the, the writing credits, deservedly so. He, he was the lyrics guy more often than not. So, no, it's a great choice. It was on my alternates list because I did. I just, I know you. <laughs> but I was also any chance to get a Beach Boys. Well, song, I was right? also afraid that you know me, and we were both going to have it on our alternates list. That 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 was also. A There's fear. even one that I, I I would almost I bet my house that you have on your list, but I still put it on my list just in case. Okay. All right. What's up? All right. My next song. Uh, it's a newer song, and it was a controversial song. Okay, so I probably don't have this one anywhere on my list. Yes, I chose "Pumped Up Kicks" by Foster the People. I know this song. Um. Yeah, this was the indie rock band's first single. It debuted on the Hot 100 chart in 2011. And the song, it manages to hide a really dark message beneath its, its a very yeah, it's cheery pretty, tune. Pretty dark. Oh, it, absolutely. It, it's, you know. Well, Pumped Up Kicks is about a kid that is basically losing his mind and he's plotting revenge. And he is an outcast. And songwriter Mark Foster, who is the vocalist, guitarist, and keyboardist for the band, has said that he felt that youth in our culture were becoming more and more isolated. And he saw it as an epidemic. And he decided, instead of writing about victims and some tragedy, he wanted to get into a killer's mind, is, is, was the idea. Um, the song is about a school shooting, okay? And the, the gun in this song is quite literal. Uh, but it didn't start out that way. Foster wrote the chorus of the song first, and he considered it a, a song about confidence, um, with gun being a metaphor. But then that changed when he came up with the first verse, which he freestyled during a recording session. And you know, this verse was clearly about a kid who finds his dad's gun and is, you know, it changed the complexion of the song, giving the gun a, a literal meaning. Um, the song was yanked uh, from the airwaves after the shooting of 20 children and six staff members at Sandy Hook Elementary School um, in Newton, Connecticut. That was December 2012. And, and Foster agreed with the decision to pull the track out of respect for the victims, um, adding that he wrote the song about the growing trend of mental illness among teenagers in a bid to create conversation about the need for change. Um, in fact, in an interview with CNN, I have it here, he, he wrote, or he said, I wrote Pumped Up Kicks when I began to read about the growing trend in teenage mental illness. I wanted to understand the psychology behind it because I w it was foreign to me. It was terrifying how mental illness among youth had skyrocketed in the last decade. I was scared to see where this pattern was headed if we didn't start changing the way we were bringing up the next generation. This song was written as a way to create ongoing dialogue for an issue that was being talked about, but when it came to government intervention, was being largely ignored.
this happens all the time. It folks, does. Uh, where, you know, artists, obviously, it's their job to make comments about society. And when they do so, then they are accused of promoting, either promoting or condoning a behavior or you know, contributing to that behavior increasing. Yes. And it's, it's really difficult because everything, everything in the media has been used as a scapegoat, not just pop music and, and, and movies and video games. Right. Well, video games especially. Well, and metal in the 80s. Correct, I mean, correct. Judas Priest and, you know. So that's what's difficult. I mean, like I specifically think about uh, the story, the, the novella, actually it was a novel, but a very short novel, Rage by Stephen King, one oh, of yes. his earlier novels that he released as Richard Bachman. It's, you can't find it anywhere now. And, and he same, same thing as you mentioned it. with Foster. He agreed, he agreed to have that pulled. Um, you can still find it, but you know it's no yeah. longer in, in print, right? Because it does detail a school shooting. And this is back in the late seventies, before right. school shootings really became a thing. And like anything, like like good art, it explores why somebody might be led to, to do this, whether it's mental illness or or, or social issues or, or abuse. But you know, and I'm not. I don't agree. <laughs> I don't agree. I think it, it's always a perfect storm. Someone has to have issues to begin with, and certain factors in their lives. Yes. Now, a certain song or, or piece of media could be a catalyst, but it is, I don't think is ever the reason. But at the same time, I don't think that you know warrants people banning or or stopping making comments about these things. Agreed. Because, yeah. like Foster said, you need to uh, address these issues. We need more funding for social work and counseling. And or else this is going to continue to happen over and, and over look, again, and it, it continues to happen. In fact, um, this stretch since well, since March, when when schools finally closed, it's the longest stretch we've gone since well, really, probably since Columbine without a, yeah. a school shooting, um, which is not the way to to cure the right the the ill of course right. um, and that add, that brought up its own issues too because now you have kids at home that could be in abusive situations and oh, they yes. don't have a an outlet they don't have a place to right. perhaps go and get help so that presented its own issues as it, well it did um, but no I you know I was hesitant there there was a part of me there were two songs that I really I didn't know if I should include them on our list being educators. Um, this was one of them. I didn't know if I felt comfortable bringing up, you know, gun violence, school shootings. But then I thought, realistically, we have lockdown drills. We have evacuation drills. It, it is the world we live in. And if I'm going to be honest about the return to school, it won't be long before we're, again, practicing those drills and, you know, very genuinely concerned that the next school shooting could be in our building. So how do you, how do you social, by the way, how do you socially distance in a I drill? I do not. Anyway. No, I, that's been one that's of my, that's been one of my questions. Us to figure yes. out that. But not, in, in this kind of like Born in the USA, at the time when this song was popular, school functions played it all the time. It dances and, yeah, and, and oh, football they, games and well, so it, on. It is a catch, it's a very infectious tune. It's, it actually, it would fit very nicely following the Beach Boys because it has that very 60s Right. But I would have to inform people. I was that guy that had to inform whomever that, Listen, you know, listen to the lyrics of right. the song. It's probably not one that we should be playing. And so, yeah, if people were to look at our playlist without listening to this episode, they might. But hopefully, they'll they'll listen to the episode first and right. understand the reason. Well, that's what we hope. Because we are <laughs> so. bringing up all of these issues of school, just like the Fourth of July episode. Most likely, we're going to cover a lot of the uh, the hot buttons here in, in education. Yeah. No, absolutely, and. Th- 
Can you guess the other song that I... I, uh, I did not put the other song. Is it song possible that you were going to use Schools Out from Alice Cooper? No, no. Um, I, I chose that. I didn't choose that because that's about the end of school and right. not back to school. I, yeah, I was thinking graduation. But technically, that that's about blowing up the school. Well, it is. Yeah. Um, no, that wasn't the one. The, the one, the other song that I had a problem with and I did not include it because I just did not feel comfortable as an educator including it is Don't Stand So Close to Me. Oh, yeah, no. no I, I, yeah, I there steered was, away from that There are entirely. several songs about teacher-student relationships, inappropriate teacher-student right. relationships that I did not include just because right. we're not going to go there. Now, I, I did include coming up two songs about, you know, from, from the student's perspective, having a crush on the teacher. But yeah, I did not include the police. I, Which I just, kind of that Don't Stand So Close to Me is also about a student crush and, and how the teacher is uncomfortable with it. It is. But regardless, I didn't uh, want to go there. Yeah, I, it, <laughs> yeah. Um, didn't want to be accused of anything on that one. So, All right. All right, it's your turn. Here's another uh, obvious one that you may have chosen and it's from uh, a guilty pleasure band that I enjoy. Uh, I always refer to them as the, well, the poor man's Leonard Skinner, maybe, or the pop Leonard Skinner and that's 38 special. We have a match. And the teacher, song is teacher. teacher, Teacher. And that was actually written specifically for a film that came out in 1984 called Teachers. Uh, some of you uh, Gen Xers may remember it. It starred Nick Nolte and Judd Hirsch and Ralph Macchio. And it took place in, in Columbus. It was kind of a, an inner city school in Columbus. And, you know, it kind of tried to hit, it was very satirical, and it tried to hit all of those different issues. It, it was somewhat critical of our education system. Uh, if I remember correctly, it's been a while since I've seen the movie, but, but Ralph Macchio ends up, like, suing the school, right, because he can't read. Yeah, well, that's the premise. It, it turns out he can. Right, but that's, 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 that's the premise. So, so yeah. you have some... T- but then there are all sorts of other just funny satirical moments. For instance, uh, the teacher dies at his desk behind his newspaper second period and nobody no knows, knows until the end. Yeah, because he's never interacting with his and, students. And that, of course, that's a, just a, a, a great shot at some of tradition, some of the traditional teaching me- methods that are you know, ineffective. And, but, yeah. but, but we've all known teachers that have employed such. Oh. I mean, they could, they could literally die and nobody would know till the end of the Still day. Still do. I, not, not every teacher should be teaching. I mean, in, in, the, you know, in the 60s and 70s, you had a lot of teachers that did not have a calling. They, they chose the profession because it, it, it was their ticket out of the draft. If really. you were a male or if, if you were a female, yes. you didn't have a lot of options at the time right, for a career. Exactly. Um, so a lot of people, you know, they went to college, did not know what to do, and they chose education because, you know, it, it was an escape from Vietnam. Um, today, of course, we don't have those, those pressing issues, but we do. I, I genuinely believe that the vast majority of educators in this country love what they do. Today, you have, believe yeah, what. Yeah. It, or at least they doing, started that way. Yeah, um, teacher burnout is a, it's another topic entirely. What, the the best part of the movie, though, I think the best comment, satirical comment, is when the the man escapes from the mental institute. Richard Mulligan's character, and he shows up, and he's the one that's you know wearing outrageous costumes right. to try he, to bring history alive. Lincoln and Washington, and, and yeah. so the best teacher in the school is not a teacher; he's an escaped mental <laughs> yes. patient. Oh, it was great. <laughs>
that conveyed the ambiance of that large chaotic public high school without spending much time on the students themselves. I, instead, it concentrated on activity in the faculty lounge and it presented classroom scenes in its entirety from the teacher's points of view. Right. It was not a student film. It was a teacher's film. Um, and, you know, like you said, the plot focused on that lawsuit against the school by Ralph Macchio's character who claimed he graduated without learning to read. And the movie actually received very tepid reviews. Um, and in the years since, it's largely been forgotten. But I've, I've always been a fan. I, I find Maybe it's because I'm a teacher. But I, I find... I find the film very enjoyable, and I, I think you know there's a lot of truth in in the movie, and it brings up a lot of issues in '84 that have not gone away. Correct, so, correct. Um, especially in our, in our inner cities, I mean that's still a huge issue. We are, we have our issues in the suburbs, and in affluent areas, of course, and in rural areas, but in rural areas, but the inner city really has me the most concerned because oh, without question. I mean, when we started teaching, there was a teacher um, surplus. And we've reached a point now where there's definitely a teacher shortage. Uh, I think one of the indicators of that is at least the quality of, of the substitute pool. The substitute pool used to be um, mostly young teachers who had graduated who couldn't find a job because there was a surplus um, in the market. And so they were trying to um, substitute to get experience, but to also get their foot in, in the door at a particular school. Yes. And now, and I can't speak for, for your school, but at our school, most of the subs are retired people. Many of them are not retired educators, just retired individuals, because in our state, you can sub without a teacher's license. Right. And, you know, they have a tendency to be, they're not very engaging. They may fall asleep from yes. time to time. Most of them are we have some that are very good. Right. And honestly, I'm, I'm fairly confident because Stark County Schools, that's where you apply to sub. And I, I would my guess is that we have the same subs between both right, districts. Right. Um, because there are, there are a handful that I can name right now that I, I'm just, I will tip my hat to Of them. course. They're, of they're course, amazing. there are very quality subs. Um, I don't want to suggest that. Right, right. But I, I was trying to say as, an, as a, an indicator that there's a teacher shortage. Yes. You can just look at the demographics of the sub pool. That was my point. That yeah, it, wasn't, no, it wasn't to disparage the substitutes. Oh, no, I, I didn't take it that way. The problem is it, 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 it's a little bit easier to get a, a teacher to teach in a wealthy suburban school. Yes. So there's a lot of insulation for schools that we are you know, fortunate to work in. But those inner city schools are going to be the first to suffer when you have the shortage because it's harder to, now they pay a little bit more, which they should, but it's a little bit harder to get somebody. Because really in the inner city schools, it, it's a mission. It's, it's a mission for all of us, but it's it a is. different kind of mission. Yeah, I, you know, they're trying just to pass. You're, and you're dealing, well, you're dealing with poverty and yeah. you're dealing with I mean, all sorts of yeah, societal I, ills that I, are, are magnified in the just, inner city. I, even the gang activity, the, I mean, well, drugs exist everywhere, but I, the violence, I think, you know, they go home. A lot of the inner city kids, they go home, and violence is—it's right outside their front door. That's how they right. how they grow up. Um, but no, I no, I, I agree with everything you said, and, and absolutely, we have subs that should not be. Well, you know, this year there's already a sub shortage, and I'm really wondering, given COVID, if we're going to have a difficult time finding subs this year that want to come into the school. I'd be willing to bet that we're more likely to shut our doors because of lack of either teachers being out and not being able to have substitutes or just a mass amount of students, you know, staying home because they have a fever yeah. Because and, and, and other than actual outbreaks causing us to shut down. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I don't know. You know, you have, you have a dozen teachers out sick and you can't find a sub for any of them. I, what do you do? Right. 
So exactly. All right. All right. We will see. Your choice. My next one is not nowhere in the song does it talk about schooling, but it is certainly a song, especially at the middle school level. I see my students, my female students. Um, this this song goes goes out to them. Um, Alessia Cara, are you familiar with her? No. It's probably a name you don't know. Uh, she debuted this song. It's called Scars to Your Beautiful. Um, it's an empowering self-love anthem. And she she debuted it during her performance on uh, September 28th, 2015 at the Life is Beautiful Festival in Las Vegas. Kara said to her fans before premiering the song, the standards that we have to kind of face as young women in everyday life just to feel or look a certain way or to act a certain way because there's a lot of pressure being a young girl and just girls and women in general. So I wanted to make a reminder to just love yourself and appreciate yourself no matter what. That's how she introduced the song on its first performance. The song was actually inspired by a traumatic experience that Kara had in her early teenage years. She started losing her hair in chunks in the shower and she explained in interviews that it was one of the scariest things that she had ever experienced. And it got to the point where her hair was just visibly gone. And she struggled with it a lot, obviously, especially in high school. Um, you know, teenage girls, they, they face so many pressures. And of course, they, they internalize it. The eating disorders, the cutting, the truancy that too often results from bullying, especially cyberbullying. Um, you know, it, it just really... Uh, I. Kara said that she literally had nothing left. Um, you know, she was going through high school, being made fun of, and, and the large patches of missing hair brought ridicule from her peers, and she fell into a depression from the ridicule of her classmates. So she had to learn ex- to accept her hair and her, you know, upsetting experience, and then she wanted all girls who suffer from low self-image to be able to relate to Scars to Your Beautiful. So she... She said the girl she is talking about is her, it's you, it's every girl who struggles with feeling not good enough. And she wrote the song to discuss all the different extremes the girls go through to feel beautiful and, and how that far too often you know, fails. And to me, it, it just, you have to have this song there because it is so real. And I see you know, just the emotional scars of, of many of my students who... You know, they, they really do not like themselves. The, the self-concept is so low. And, you know, we, we as a nation, you know, we, we have this image of what beauty should look like and the girls have to live up to that standard. And I just, I don't know, being a teenage girl today must be torture. Well, and it's exasperated by social media because it used to be, you know, you were, and when you were at school, you had to deal with these issues, you yes. know, what you're wearing, physical appearance, how your body's developing, those types of things. But then you could go home and you would have a safe place where you could either choose the friends that you had at home or you could be away from people your own age and you could escape into your own world. But now with social media, you can never escape that. Correct. And it's just become you know incessant for, uh, for bullying. And in fact, I would argue that we don't really see, we might see the tip of the iceberg in school with the bullying. But I would say the vast majority of it oh, it's, uh, occurs where yes. we have no reach or knowledge of what's going on. Yeah. And that's that's really troubling to me. Well, and, and the girls, I mean, talking with the guidance counselors, you know, all they have to do is log off. 
but but so many of them are so concerned with what is being said about them that they they cannot you know bring themselves to log off or to turn off they they you know they live on every word and it just continues to to have that snowball effect she just wants to be beautiful she goes unnoticed she knows no limits she craves attention she praises an image she prays to be sculpted by the sculptor oh she don't see the light that's shining deeper than the eyes can find it maybe we are made of blind souls she tries to cover up her pain and cut her woes away cause cover girls don't cry after the face is made but there's a hope that's Sir, it is your turn. All right. Well, here's a song I'm, I'm guessing that you have on your list because it's a song that you introduced me to back in, in high school from the great Harry Chapin. Okay. Do we have a match? Uh, yes, we probably do. Was that the elementary song you were that referring to? I was referring to. I've, okay. Yeah. So we, I'm referring to a song called Flowers Are Red. I didn't think you'd have it. Really? So, no. All right. Flowers uh, are red. I'm, it may have been one of those media elements one of those songs I mean, I've talked about Dead Poets Society it was in some way an inspiration for me to go into education oh without question perhaps this song maybe had a little bit to do with it as well and, and Harry Chapin's a great storyteller and he tells a story essentially about a little boy who is very creative and just sees the world in a very artistic way but has a teacher who feels that he should be more conventional in the way that he colors. Yes. And the story goes from there. I don't want to say too much about it because I think, you know, if you haven't heard the song, you need to listen to it and let the, the song kind of reveal itself. But it, it can't, his secretary was telling the story to Harry about the secretary's son at school mm-hmm. and a particular comment that appeared on the report card. And the report card said, your son is marching to the beat of a different drummer, but don't worry, we will soon have him joining the parade by the end of the term. Yeah, well, and Harry got pissed off by that. Yes. And, and yeah. it, it's a similar theme, like in Dead Poets Society, when Robin Williams, you know, Keating is taking his students out to the, uh, to the schoolyard, to the courtyard there, and has them practicing their different walks. Right. But pretty soon, when somebody begins to clap, everybody they're, they're falls in into step. line, and they're yep. all walking the same. And so there is that idea of school, of course school is a socializing agent. It, it is. Uh, it, it prepares students for being able to be productive citizens in our country. Is. Yeah, we, we can form our kids by, you know, the state and just the guidelines, just the expectations after graduation force us to teach conformity. I mean, that, that, and that part's important, but, but it's the line between 
obviously having the knowledge to be a good citizen, a productive citizen, but also encouraging and allowing room for individuality and artistic expression. Because frankly, the people that change the world are not the people that conform. No, The people that change the world are the ones that see the world differently, they color outside the lines, Mm -hmm. they think different or differently. That always bothers me that Apple grammatically, (laughs) incorrectly, it's think differently, not think different, but that's just because I'm a grammar Nazi. But So this is just a, such a simple song that I think any teacher or any parent should have in the back of their mind when working with children, because a lot of times it's easier for us as parents or for teachers to get kids to fall into line, because if you have an entire class doing the same thing, thinking the same way, it's much easier to manage. It is. It's much more effective to get content to that group, but that's not the ideal way. No. And I, differentiation and looking at... It's students', students multiple intelligences, which was kind of a thing for a while, or at least their strengths and, and weaknesses, is really the way to encourage people that will eventually change the world. Agreed. Yeah. You know, the song, it's a powerful, it, it's about the power that teachers hold over their students and the dangers of conformity. It, the field of education, folks, has long subscribed to what's called a jug and mug theory. Um, if you're not in education, you, you may... It's pretty self-explanatory, but you may not have a, a good feel for it. The jug and mug is a technique that, that governed American classrooms for most of the 20th century. Um, the theory held steadfast to the belief that the teacher was the fount of knowledge, the jug, if you will, and he or she sat on a high pedestal you know, in the front of the room and in keeping with his or her position as an expert, and you know, the students, they were the empty mugs in this analogy, sat below. And then the teacher then poured his or her knowledge into the minds of children uh, as a jug would pour the contents into a mug. And in so doing, the students would then obtain the teacher's knowledge and therefore be like the teacher and therefore educated. Um, There are several problems with this, though. First, no teacher is all-knowing. Second, no student arrives to a classroom empty. Third, the, the practice dulls curiosity and, and stifles creativity. Fourth, it doesn't encourage lifelong learning. It's only memorization and recitation. And by regurgitating the teacher's knowledge on an assessment that somehow, you know, for, for decades made students college and career ready, which we know now, you know, the, I've, there's a cartoon that I've seen several times on social media where uh, a student is at a job interview and the, the employer asks, well, what are your strengths? And the, the student says, well, I'm very good at taking tests, you know, which, which is... It's it's sad, um, but you know that technique subscribes entirely to the belief of inconformity, and it really suggests that the job of a teacher was to create miniature clones of him or herself. And you know, there's a very real difference between education and schooling. Uh, fortunately, the the theory is no longer favored by educators. We now know that real learning doesn't work this way, but. Um, yeah, the song, it, it's... Was that on your main list or an alternate? No, that was my main list. My do, main do, list. Which version do you prefer? Well, I was going to say, I, I really want us to use the live version. Because there is a live version and yeah. the version from Living Room Suite. Right. Living Room Suite, I, the original is fine, um, but I really love the live version. Originally, it comes from the 1979 live double album, Legends of the Lost and Found. But when we when it comes time to put it on Spotify, take it from the greatest that, hits. That version yeah. can be found on the gold medal collection, right? And it's the live version is just it's it's slightly more up temp, uh, more upbeat. It's up tempo, just slightly, but it he it's far more impassioned. The little boy went first day of school. He got his crayons and he started to draw. 
He put colors all over the paper Four colors was what he saw And the teacher said What you doing young man? How painting flowers he said She said it's not the time for art young man And anyway flowers are green and red There's a time for everything young man A way it should be done You got to show concern for everyone else Oh you're not the only one And she said flowers for red young man Green leaves for green There's no need to see flowers any other way There are so many colors in the rainbow So many colors in the morning sun So many colors in the flower And I see everyone I can't stress this enough. I, there are two things I tell my students at the start of every school year. One is that, you know, the best teachers tell students where to look but not what to see. And more importantly, I tell my kids, not just at the start of the year, but you know, weekly, daily, throughout the year, I care more about the people my students become than the scores on the tests they take. And you know, it, this song runs counter to both beliefs. And you know, it's just it's a cautionary tale. It, it's very real, and you know, for generations, this is how children were taught. So, yeah, it, it definitely has has to be on the list. I didn't think you'd have it. I'm, I'm impressed. All right. Well, if you have this one, then... Then you're really impressed. I'm really impressed. Okay. My next song is by Adam Sandler, and it is titled Lunch Lady Land. That's a great song. I didn't include it, yeah. but that's a great song. It is. Uh, it's from the album They're All Gonna Laugh at You, which was released in 93. Uh, the title of the album actually comes from a repeated line in the track Oh Mom, which is itself a parody of a scene in the film Carrie. Um... Several of the tracks on the album feature very adult humor, uh, which was a departure from the material in his films, which you know are generally rated PG or PG-13, and that was a trend that would continue on his subsequent comedy albums and, and live tours. At, at the time of the recording, Sandler was in the middle of his five-season career at Saturday Night Live, and much of his album was made with the help of his friends from the show. Besides Sandler, the album features fellow SNL performers Rob Schneider, David Spade, Tim Meadows, uh, as well as SNL writers Conan O'Brien, Robert Smeagol, and uh, career writing partner Tim Hurley. Uh, the album was also produced by G. Smith, which was SNL's musical director at the time. Several friends of Sandler's also perform and co-write on the album. Uh, some of them would go on to become recurring players in Sandler's films. Um, but in addition to the several non-musical skits on the album, there are five songs. And two of them were first performed live on SNL, the Thanksgiving song, and then Lunch Lady Land. Um, you know, I jokingly, when I was making the list, I just thought to myself, you know, I, I remember the song vividly. Um, and then I thought to myself, well, maybe I think about it every day, actually, because whether I'm at the grocery store with my list, Navy Beans, Navy Beans, or, you know, getting lunch with friends hoagies and grinders, hoagies and grinders, or, or trying to make some philosophical point about the cyclical nature of life. Yesterday's meatloaf is today's sloppy joes, you know. I'm, I'm always struck by how poignant, I'm, I'm being facetious here, folks, obviously, um, and applicable that Lunch Lady Land actually is to any situation. But more than anything else, the song is still funny as hell. You know, at age 47, I'm not at all embarrassed to admit that I still enjoy juvenile humor. Woke up in the morning, put on my new plastic glove. 
<laughs> Serve some reheated Salisbury steak with a little slice of love. <laughs> I got no clue what the chicken pot pie is made of. Just know everything's doing fine down here in Launch Lady Land. <laughs> well, I wear this net on my head Cause my red hair is falling out I wear these brown orthopedic shoes Cause I got a bad case of the gout I know you want seconds on the corn dogs, but there's no reason to shout. Everybody gets enough food down here in All right. Good choice. I'm glad we'll have a little comedy on there yeah. too. That's much, perfect. Much needed. Some levity. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, the next one I could have either used uh, this week or I could have used in a couple weeks for our TV themes episode. But I had so many TV themes that I wanted to use. I thought, why not just use it here? Oh, you're killing me. You just stole one from my TV list. I know, your, I know where you're going. From your TV list. Yeah, this is Welcome Back. Welcome Back. Welcome Back from the television show Welcome Back Cotter, which was a late 70s high school sitcom, which uh, starred, well, most famously, John Travolta as Vinnie Barbarino. Yep, that was where he got his start. And yeah. then from there, he went to Carrie. Yeah, so. And then you had Horshack and you had a whole cast of characters. The, the, the premise of the show is about a high school teacher that, that in, in New York City who um, left for, had big dreams about changing the world and yep. eventually decides to come back home to the high school and become a teacher and to give back yes. to the school that made him who he was. And when they were, you know, they, they, I think they'd probably shot a few episodes and they needed a theme song. So they reached out to, to John Sebastian, who was the lead vocalist and writer for uh, Love and Spoonful. Right. Because they kind of envisioned that type of style. And so... He went out to, to, to start writing the song and realized that nothing really rhymes with Cotter. Yes. It's kind of an awkward rhyme. And so he took the premise of the television show and kind of focused on that, of, of coming back to, to the school where you attended and working there and influencing young students. And so he called it Welcome Back. Well, the TV studio liked it so much, they actually changed, because the, the, at the time, the series was just called Cotter. Yeah. And then they actually changed the name of the series to Welcome Back, Cotter, which I can't imagine any other way. Uh, correct. Because that's the whole yeah. premise of, of the show. And so here's an, in, an instance where the, the theme song written for the show influenced the show right. itself. It, uh, um, you know, it actually reached number one. It was the number one song. Oh, and deservedly so. I mean, it is it is a wonderful song. And yeah, it was definitely on my list of, of television. Actually, I want to thank you because that just, that just helps you make your that choice. That helps me uh, limit my, my choices there. Um, yeah, I, I remember I, I watched it growing up. Of course, we had... I'm sure every city had a, at least one channel of, of syndicated shows, and, right. and this was on our channel 43 for a time. Well, we it, it, we were we were around when it was actually yeah first I, yeah time. I don't know if I was watching television oh, okay. at the time maybe I, maybe it, it was, was yeah it was mid to late seventies maybe it was I, I don't think I watched a lot of primetime TV but maybe okay. I did okay I remember this was one show that my 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 father did watch and I would watch it with him I also I like most shows at that time I really didn't understand what I was watching but um, well I I never understood and this is a blind spot for me um, in my bubble that my experience with pop culture does not necessarily translate to the next generation 
because my earlier teaching days, so in the late 90s, I would always play this on the first day of school as kids entered, and right. I would be shocked and appalled that nobody knew what TV, now I look back, I'm like, of course they didn't know what TV, what are you thinking? Oh yeah, it is even in syndication. 13-year-old kid in 1997 is yeah. gonna know what Welcome Back Cotter is, even, but I was offended. Yeah, it's a title even TV land, I think, is, is long kind of just dismissed. Welcome back, your dreams were your ticket out. Welcome back to that same old place that you laughed about. Well, the names have all changed since you hung around, but those dreams have remained and they've turned around. Who'd have thought they'd lead Gabe Kaplan was a stand-up comic, and the show was in part based on his uh, actual experience. He he was a teacher who then became a stand-up comedian. He left teaching, became became a comedian. And his you know his act, you know his set was in large part just you know the comical you know misadventures of a, of a teacher in any given school day. Um, and then he actually came up with the premise. I think he was actually one of the writers of the show itself. Um, but no, I, we can credit the show. You know, that's that's what brought, the you know, um, up your nose with a rubber up hose your, no. and into the common parlance. I, I think we probably could have survived without that one. <laughs> but but no. I, I couldn't do, I could not in good conscience do a back-to-school episode playlist without Welcome Back. No, it is a great show. I'm, I'm actually kind of a little angry at myself that I didn't even think about putting it on this episode. Well, you thought of Lunch Lady Land, so well, true. we're even. But no, well, oh, John Sebastian, yeah, it, it's a, it is an awesome song. So kudos, Dave. I'm very grateful for the inclusion. All right, what's up? All right, well, my next, my next song was Flowers Are Red, and my song after that was School Day. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, my first alternate, and it's one that I wanted to include on the list, and I just couldn't bring myself to, to cut anything that I had included in the first 10. It is a song by Sam Cooke. Whoa, 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 whoa. I know. Yeah, yeah I know what you're oh, about to say. I, I think I told you before the broadcast there was a song that I picked, even though I knew you were going to pick it for sure, because of the, the biggest Sam Cooke fan in the world, yep. arguably one of the biggest Sam Cooke songs, and yep. you did not include it on your main list? I did not because I... I am shocked. I wanted to. Oh, I definitely... So is this on your list? Should yeah, I? yes. It's it's okay. definitely... It was it was the second one that I thought of after... Well, it, was, it was on my list until yesterday. I dropped it yesterday. I am shocked. Um, I, I flipped spaces. I, I flipped places with uh, Timbuk3 is what I did. Um, because Timbuk3 had been on my alternates list. Sam Cooke had been on my list proper. And... I just I kept looking at it and thinking to myself, uh, it killed me. You know, taking Sam off the list. But now, I, I will admit that I went back and forth between the Sam Cooke version and the version from Art Garfunkel, which is which also featured Paul Simon and, and, and James, James Taylor. Taylor. They alternate yeah. verses and uh, from and Watermark. That that version actually went to twenty seven. Herman's Herman's version actually outcharted Sam Cooke's version. Right. But listening to all three of them, I still love Sam oh, Cooke's version go the best. Sam. Oh, yeah. Even though the Art Garfunkel has the lost verse. 
yes. that Sam Cooke did not include. Right. Well, then I'm not going to make that my next choice. So I would have been happy had I not had any. Well, you can make coming. it, and I'll just have to pick another one. Well, it's up to you. Go you? ahead. Yeah, okay. go ahead. All right. Well, uh, we are talking about, of course, the song Wonderful World by Sam Cooke. Um, full title, uh, if you're doing the parenthesis, it's actually What a Wonderful World. Uh, a lot of people confuse it uh, based on the title alone with Louis Armstrong's uh, song of the same title. Uh, Wonderful World, uh, it's, well, it was his final hit on the Keen recording label. Um, Sam Cooke uh, was recording under the, the Keen record company, um, but he basically, um, he left Keen, the, the label, over a royalty dispute. Um, he, he really believed that he was not making enough money. Uh, he signed, like so many young artists do, he, he signed a lot of the royalties, a lot of the, the songwriting credits away and wasn't getting you know, his fair share of what, what really was due to him because he was a huge, huge hit uh, in the late 50s and early 60s. Um, but this was the last hit that he recorded on the Keen label. Um, it was one of Sam Cooke's 29 U.S. Top 40 hits, and it was released that, that were released between 1957 and 1964. Um, the song was released in April of 1960, and it quickly reached number two on the Black Singles chart and number 12 on the Billboard Hot 100. Even though it was written by two white guys. Not, no. Well, yeah, Herb her, her, well, her yeah, it was a, Yeah, they were co-writers. And, co- yeah. and then, then Cook liked the song, but he changed the lyrics to reflect more of exactly. a school theme. That, no, you're right. The, right. Song, the song had been uh, sketched out in 1958 by music legends Herb Albert and Lou, Lou, Lou Adler. Adler. right. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. And it, it was a song at that time just about the difference between head and heart. Right. You know? um, Adler didn't take the song very seriously. Uh, but Cook, Cook was actually rooming with Adler. They were roommates at the time. And Cook was taken by the song. He wanted to steer the song toward the subject of schooling, specifically. So he played around with the song's melody and he revised the lyrics so that it focused um, on the subject of, you know, schooling. Um, and really, it's, it's about a singer, the narrator, disavowing knowledge of academic subjects. Don't know much about history, don't know much biology, don't know what much about a science book. Don't know what much about the French I took. Um, so he disavows the knowledge of academic subjects, but he affirms the object of his affection. But I do know that I love you. Don't know much about history. Don't know much biology. Don't know much about a science book. Don't know much about the French I took But I do know that I love you And I know that if you love me too What a wonderful world this would be Don't know much about geography Don't know much trigonometry Don't know much about algebra Don't know what a slide rule is for but I do know what it one is two And if this one could be with you What a wonderful world this would be Although the lyrics were aimed at teenagers, its emotional appeal, conveyed through Cook's smooth and intimate vocal style, really it's universal. So yeah, he recorded the song in 59. He left Keen uh, over the royalty dispute. And then a year later, after Cook had left the label and signed with RCA, 
Keen very deliberately released the single just as Cook was releasing his first single on Capitol Records. Um, and they did it, you know, to, to compete, to try and take sales away from his new single under the, the Capitol label. Um, and uh, unfortunately for Cook, or, or, or fortunately, I mean, it was his song and, you know, he's well remembered for it, but Wonderful World um, proved far more popular uh, and it climbed much higher on the charts than his first single for uh, Capital, which was You Understand Me, was, was that single. It really didn't do well. And yeah, throughout the years, Wonderful World has been covered by a number of artists. Uh, Otis Redding, Brian Ferry, Rod Stewart. Um, and when he died, he had a very untimely death. He was murdered, which, you know, that in itself remains a controversial uh, end to his life. You know, what, what really happened causing causing his murder. Um, there were a rash of tribute covers uh, of the song as well. You mentioned Hermits, uh, Herman's Hermits. The Supremes also released uh, on the 1965 album We Remember Sam Cooke, a, a, a cover of the song as well. So I would say that um, probably why I think the Sam Cooke version is in the kind of the pop culture consciousness now forever is because of Animal House. During the food fight scene. Yes, it's the food fight, but also, if you are an 80s kid, you had that very, very famous scene in Witness. Yes, but that was a different version. That wasn't Sam no, Cooke. No, that version. wasn't Sam Cooke. But That's why I said the Sam Cooke version yeah, stands out oh, because yeah, of Animal was, House. Yeah, it was the food fight. Right. Uh, yeah. I forget the, what version it was that they used in Witness. I forget now. Yeah, but, uh, yeah it's, it, it's a it different It might have been cover. the Hermit side. I'm not sure, but yeah, no, uh, Belushi. What <laughs> am I now? That's <laughs> right. uh, it. Get it? Yeah, I am. Um, yeah, no, well, good choice. I just, yeah, I, I, two really good versions. We'll definitely put some of those alternate versions on the right. uh, on the other playlists, especially the Eric Garfunkel. Yeah, one. and and I would say Otis Redding's too, if Spotify has it, is his is you know wonderful as well. But no, I, I I knew you'd be shocked. It was on my alternate list, but I I it it was on my list until yesterday, and then I switched to a Tim Buck three because I just felt I I bring in music. I'm far more likely than you to bring in music from everywhere, you know, and I really wanted to try and stick with that sweet spot of, of just Gen X. And for that reason, I already had school day, and I thought, really, I should bring in an 80s tune. And I, I guess because I of the, an, the Animal House connection is what made it Gen X for me. No, that so makes even sense. if you weren't familiar with 50s music, you would know this from Animal House. Yeah, no, And that's that why sense. it was a non-negotiable for me. Yeah, uh, folks, I, I've mentioned it before, and I'm sure... Eventually, you know, we'll have an episode where it really shines and you'll you'll see it or hear it firsthand. But yeah, I am Sam Cooke for me is just there he's the greatest singer that ever lived. And I am a diehard fan. You know, he was um you know, he was the the you know, the king of soul. I mean, well that was that was his title. Like James Brown is the godfather and you know, uh, Aretha Franklin's first lady. Sam Cooke was the king of soul. And yeah, you know, just like Billy Joel last week's episode, I, I spent really about two years, my entire middle school career, listening to nothing but Sam Cooke. So yeah, Dave's shock at it being on my alternates list makes perfect sense. So, yeah. all, all right, right. Well, it is your turn. There always seems to be some type of common theme, unintentioned theme when we do these. And, and the one for this episode appears to be alternate versions of a single song. <laughs> Yes. Because this next song has two different versions. Uh, one version was recorded and produced for a film. The other uh, version of it was 
produced and recorded for the album uh, from the band. This is also on my alternate series. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> I do. And the band didn't much care for the album version because of the recording uh, mishaps, and so then only played the live version, the one intended for the film. What am I talking about, folks? I'm talking about one of my favorite bands of all time, the Ramones, Rock and, and their song High Rock and Roll High School. Yep. And it was written for the film. And legendary producer Ed Stasium produced, which I think is the is the better version. No offense to the other version, which pro- was produced by Phil Spector, who, of course, is a legendary producer as well. More legendary, you could argue, than Ed Stasium. But if you if you ever read, I don't know if you've ever read any Ramones biographies mm-hmm. or watched any documentaries. Pulling the gun on them. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my yeah. gosh. It was, I mean, we know that Phil Spector is a little bit off his rocker. Well, he's been incarcerated for many years but now. this was a just a, a, an abusive situation the way that he treated the band and and yes there's a story about him pulling a gun on on uh, i think it was marky ramon trying to get the the beginning drum beat perfect i mean you're taking you're t- talking the ocd of like a brian wilson uh, no i should say the, the the mind of a brian wilson with the ocd of donald fagan um and then you add a gun to the mix and it's just not good yeah it's not good and and so like I said, there, there was the version that, that was intended then for the album, but then Phil Spector still got his hands on that version that was for the, I'm sorry, for the soundtrack. Then, So Phil Spector remixed the Ed Stasium version for the soundtrack and for the movie, and then re-recorded it for End of the Century, which came out in 1980. Right. So like I said, the band continues to um, continue. They're no longer playing, obviously, to the members of past, but they continue to play the Ed Stasium version of it, which is the one we will include... You know, the Ramones, there's, I love the Ramones. I, I love them. But, you know, they never charted, really. And they just weren't, um, you know, the, you had that whole, you know, the, the punk scene. Of, oh, they launched, they launched all the punk bands. I mean, when they yeah, played, when their first tour in 76, I think it was over in Europe, launched The Clash and The Sex Pistols and The Damned, and all of these bands went and saw them and oh, yeah. decided to go home and form their own bands. Well, and they were stable at CBGB. Of course, that's they're, they're leaning against the building, you know, on, on the cover right. of, uh, what is it? Um, of the, the original, the Ramones self-titled, yeah, right? Yeah, right, thank right. you. I, I was blanking on the but, title. But um, yeah, they resented the fact that they never charted because then they were still around when, when Green Day hit in the early 90s. Right. They were still making records and uh, Green Day, of course, basically just copped everything the Ramones did and they were you know hitting the charts instantly, not instantly, on their second album, Dookie. And that's when they called it quits. They said, you know what? We've been doing this right. now for 20 years. We're, we're done. We're out of here. Unfortunately, cancer ended up taking two of them yeah. shortly after, so they would have right. would have ended anyway. But yeah, but you know, if the Ramones were ever going to actually score a hit single, this would have been it. 
yeah. really. And the song was the title track to a movie, and you had Phil Spector, I mean, it was in his hands, you know. But it, it just wasn't meant to be. The song didn't crack the American charts, and the Ramones never, never did have a commercial breakthrough, which is just, un- it's unbelievable to me. Um, the experiment did make sense, however, though, because, you know, the Ramones, basically what they did was pretty simple. They just took, you know, 50s rock and roll. Oh, yeah. And they made it a little bit faster and a little bit harder. And to, to pair them up with Phil Spector makes sense, because obviously Phil Spector was the engineer of a lot of those early rock and roll tunes, but it just did not work. No, no, it didn't. And I've always, I, it's one of those bands I just can't figure out... Um, how they were not a a radio staple in in the late seventies, especially 80s. with the revival of the. In fact, I would say the Ramones were partly responsible for that seventies revival of rock and roll music. Oh yeah, obviously American Graffiti, which led to Happy Days mm-hmm. and Sha Na Na. There were lots of different elements, but I would say the Ramones and other punk elements of the time that brought back that early rock and roll sound. And it was a direct, um, a direct in, in direct opposition to the progressive rock of, of the late 70s. You know, the Ramones, they just, they longed for, one of my favorite Ramones songs is Rock and Roll Radio. Do you remember Rock and Roll Radio? Yep. And yep. it kind of chronicles how they grew up listening to early rock and roll. And now as adults, they bemoan the fact that music at the time was going in a completely different direction, whether it be disco or progressive rock. You know, I'm a, I'm a trivia junkie. And last night I was playing trivia uh, online. Um, and one of the questions came up and I mean, I, it was a Ramones question. I knew it before the question was, you know, they'd, they'd even finished asking it. It was, uh, what Stephen King novel? Oh, right, right. Uh, you know, did, did the Cemetery. Ramones cover a, a song by the same time? Yeah, Pet Cemetery. That one may have been a minor hit. Was it? I think it was a minor hit. And then they also, re- when one of the greatest hits packages was released in the late 80s. They re-released uh, I Want to Be Sedated, which was minor hit as well. I believe that hmm. was a minor hit. Okay. But you're right, they never topped the yeah, charts. No, no, no. They were never a no. force on the radio. So, okay, well. And their version of Spider-Man, by the way, is great. If you it, ever get an opportunity oh, to listen to it Spider-Man. It really is, yeah. Um, okay, well, they were on my alternates list. Right now I need two more alternates coming up, and I'm running out of alternates already. Um, but you haven't named this one, so this is my sixth song. Okay. It is the Logical Song. And that's a match on my main list. Is it? Logical Song by Supertramp. Um, yeah, I... Uh, Oh, I love the song. So, so you did go beyond, you know, just physical schooling because this one is not specifically right. about school. True, although it is about Roger Hodgson's, you know, experience yeah. at boarding school. But. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's another extraordinary track from the Breakfast in America album. Uh, the lyrics are about how the innocence and wonder of childhood can quickly give way to the worry and cynicism. You know, as children are taught to be responsible adults. It, it makes the point, really, that logic can restrict creativity and passion. We just got done talking about this with, with Harry Chapin, of course. And it argues that what we are taught in school is all very fine, but uh, what about what they don't teach us? You know, um, School, it, it teaches us how to function on the outside and to be very intellectual, but it doesn't, it just doesn't, or it didn't, I need to be careful how I say this, it didn't teach as how to act with our intuition or our heart or to really give us a real plausible explanation of what life's about. Um, yeah, it's very, very similar in in that way to another famous song from 79, Another Brick in the Wall Part Two, um, by Pink Floyd. Because, uh, you know, logical song, it just rails against English schooling. Um, super tramp keyboard player Roger Hodgson, like, like you said, he, he, he wrote the song, and he sang lead vocals. He said that um, 
what was missing at school was for him the loudest thing. And he has said that, you know, we're taught to function outwardly, but we're not taught who we are inwardly and what really, you know, is the true purpose of life. And he said that the natural awe and wonder, the thirst and enthusiasm and joy of life and young children, it just gets lost and it gets beaten out of them in a way. So, yeah, he uh, he remembered leaving school totally confused at age 19 and the song really came out of his confusion and, you know, which came down to a basic question, please tell me who I am. Um, it was a very personal song for Hodgson and, um, yeah, it just... It's a song that I, I've always, you know, if I'm making, and I've made mixtapes on, on schooling themes in the past, and this has always been a song that I've included. in America is just easily one of my top 10. One of the greatest pop yeah. albums, and this may be one of the greatest pop songs ever penned Agreed. and recorded. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Yep, I have really nothing to add because you hit that one perfectly. All right. Logical song, good song. Mm. All right, so going on now, um, I had to had to bring the girls back. Okay. Had to bring the girls back. Had to bring Indigo Girls into uh-huh. this. Yes. I think I, I thought long and hard about including it. Um I didn't because I thought either you would or I thought, you know, you, you said you're making a conscious effort to not to try and dwell on certain performances. So I thought... Yeah, know. I haven't used them in the last few weeks, though. Yeah. I think I've only used oh, them once oh, or twice. This, well, do you know what song I'm... Uh, I think, yeah, it has to be... I, I ended up choosing Closer to Fine. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> oh, I, it was driving me nuts. Yeah. yeah went, clo- went to the mountain. Yeah. Closer to Fine, uh, which was uh, their first uh, quote unquote hit. Uh, yeah. I mean, hit on some of the charts, not necessarily Billboard Hot 100 chart, but modern rock charts. Oh, and modern so rock, yeah, it hit high. And uh, it came, they had a, 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 like a lot of artists, they had a kind of a demo indie album prior to this, but this was their first, this was on Epic Records, so this was their first mainstream right. uh, release, uh, just self titled Indigo Girls. And it's it's really a song about looking for truth and being fine with not having discovered it yet. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned on earlier broadcast that uh, that Emily and Amy write separately. Yes, and then they arrange together. And so this was written by Emily Sailors, and she was 
I think she described she was sitting on the back porch at her parents' house kind of looking out over nature and kind of bothered by the fact that she didn't have all the answers in, in life and what she was supposed to do, where she was supposed to go, what she was supposed to think. Yeah. It was a very philosophical type of encounter that she had. And so that's what the song is about. And so I like that not only about pursuing truth, but that second element, this is what makes Indigo Girl so great. It's that second element of saying it's okay not to know yet. Yes. As long as you're always pursuing, as long as, because I mean, frankly, none of us are really ever going to know truth in its ultimate sense. We're always going to try to get close to it. Some people are going to claim that they have the truth. I can never claim that. Oh, I, I think we should all be very scared of people who think that they do. I, I like to think that I'm getting close to it or see shades of it, but yes. I'm always changing my mind and my viewpoint and keeping my mind open and having discussions with mm-hmm. people. And so this song comforts me sometimes when I realize I don't have the answers and that's okay. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't about any specific you know, professor or class that she had, but it was just kind of a culmination of different right. academic experiences that she had and um, you know, being torn in different directions. Of what, what does it mean to be an academic and to be a free thinker and so on? It actually won a Grammy for Best Contemporary Folk Recording. Yeah, um, I knew that. Which was cool. And, and you know they were, they were nominated for Best New Artist. That I did not know. They, they were nominated, uh, really. And guess who they lost to? Oh, it's going to be painful. I, I, I don't know. Millie Vanilli. Was that the year? They got robbed. Because Millie Vanilli, they, the Grammy was revoked. Right. I think yeah. they should go back and vote. They, they should. Give it to Indigo Girls. I Yeah. Millie Vanilli was the same year as... 89. Huh. Okay. 89. Yeah, no, that would be right. To help me take my life less seriously It's only life after all Yeah Well darkness has a hunger that's insatiable And lightness has a call that's hard to hear And I wrap my fear around me like a blanket I sail my ship of safety till I sank it I'm crawling on your shores And I went to the doctor I went to the mountains I looked to the children I drank from the fountains There's more than one answer to these questions Pointing me in a crooked line And the less I seek my source for some definitive Closer I am to find, yeah Closer I am to find, yeah The song to me has always been very zen-like Yeah In a way um, You know, because she's she's looking She went to the doctor She went to the mountain She looked to the children She drank from the fountain, right? And She reads the Bible know, She talks about her professor Right her ph- And then philosophy she got her, professor. got her paper And she was free, right? Yeah, but... Um, you know, to me, you know, it, it just calls to mind that story start uh, Gautama, you know, looking for enlightenment. And he goes to the master yogis and the monks and, and, you know, he does all these things. And then finally he just sits under the Bodhi tree and waits for truth, for enlightenment to come to him. Right. I mean, it's very similar in, in theme there. Um, now, I, I didn't include it because, A, pretty confident you would. Um, 
and and B, if if you didn't, I felt well, you know, they've they've had a presence before. But I also, you know, I was focusing high school primarily, and right. for me, it's always been a collegiate. And and that's why I say I, this isn't necessarily about a physical building, but it is about right. Oh yeah, about learning and education, and that's why I chose to include it. Yeah, no, great choice, and yeah, I I, I did. I thought about it. Um, of course, then I apparently forgot, you know, the title entirely. <laughs> so it's okay. Um, but no. Um, okay. My my next song was the one that last week you said do not include this song. <laughs> did I? Yes, you did. Oh, you smoking the boys. Did. I don't care that you boys. include it. Just don't include. I would. I was assuming you would include the Motley Crue version. Never. Okay. Never All would right, I include well, the Crue yeah, version. Yeah. No, smoking in the boys' room by Brownsville Station. Right. That's the original. Um, yeah, it's the original. It was from the 1973 album. Yeah, and this song. Um, you know, it, it's about a group of schoolboys who sneak out of class to smoke in the boys' bathroom only to be found by the principal who reminds them that smoking ain't allowed in school. I mean, it's, it, it, that's it. I mean, that, it, that's as straightforward as I can give it. There's not a lot to, to scrutinize here. Um, lead singer and guitarist Cub Coda, he got the idea for the song uh, from memories of hanging out actually at a movie theater with his childhood, uh, childhood friends. That They actually, um, you know, they, they, would, they would smuggle cigarettes that they lifted from their parents into the men's room at the Clinton Theater in Ann Arbor, Michigan, on Friday nights. And uh, Coda, he, he has said that the old duffer, his words, not mine, um, who owned the theater would come after them, but they never were caught. He never caught them in the act. So when he found himself in a band, he drew from that experience to write the song, and he shifted the scene from the movie theater to the schoolhouse. And from there, it just took 30 minutes to write the song and an hour for the band to record it. Um, yeah, they didn't think much of it, but the song became far and away their biggest hit. Um, and Brownsville Station, you know, they had released two albums previous to Yeah, and they were enjoying regional acclaim in Michigan. But when Smoking in the Boys' Room came out, I mean, it took them to the to the national level. Um, for school outcasts, I tell you what, who, who you know, questioned authority, um, this was... This was a very validating song. Someone um, needs to cover it and update it to vaping in the boys' room now. They, they really should. To make it relevant. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, no, it, it was. It became an anthem for frustrated youth who felt marginalized at school, you know, in the early 70s. How you doing out there? You ever seem to have one of those days where it just seems like everybody's getting on your case from your teacher all the way down to your best girlfriend? Well, you know, I used to have them just about all the time. But I found a way to get out of it. Let me tell you about it. All right, I'm actually down to my alternates list now. I um, you've, you've we've matched on four of mine, so I have five alternates, okay. and I will be able to choose four of those five. And so the first one I did not include on my main list, 
it is one of those that I would say was one of maybe the most obvious choice. Um, if we were to poll our audience, this might be the one that would come in first, and that is the Pink Floyd classic, Another Brick in the Wall, yep. Part 2. It's on my alternates list. You have left me now. <laughs> my alt- I have one alternate left. Oh, man. <laughs> and I, right now I currently have one Oh boy! <laughs> One alternate that I need to pick. I we still have two more songs in between. So. Interesting. I, there are other songs I can pull, but well, this comes from Roger Waters' uh, rock opera, "The Wall," which most people are very familiar with. Came oh, out in 1980, yes. and Roger Waters, you know, he was a little bit difficult to work with. That's well documented, and you know, he was kind of very focused on his vision. And there are actually three different parts to this song that are spread throughout the, the rock opera. But, you know, the record company, they want to make money. And, you know, especially in Britain, they were not, they didn't release singles. They did in America, but not in in, in Great Britain. Right. Uh, In fact, they hadn't released a single since 1968. And when, you know, the A&R people heard the uh, second part of Another Brick in the Wall, especially since it had a little bit of a disco beat to it. Yes. You know, at first Gilmore was kind of, but then he... Played around and 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 they the, I forget who produced this record, but uh, Bob Erzin. Okay, yeah. And they came to a, a point where it's like, okay, it's yeah, it's a, it's a little discoid, but not enough, just enough to kind of give it the, a different kind of edge. And so because of that, uh, it was released as a single. Waters wasn't happy with it, but he basically said, "Fine, do whatever you guys well, want to do." Waters was never happy with anything, <laughs> right? And it became a huge hit. It hit number one in both the U.S. and in the U.K. Yep. as well as other countries like Germany. And I distinctly remember this song being part of the zeitgeist back in, in 1980 when I would have been eight years old because it terrified me. It terrified. I remember hearing this, that and We Will Rock You terrified me. We Will Rock You terrified We you? Will Rock You. Oh, okay, now, We Will Rock You was even earlier. That was 1976. So right. I'm four years old at the time. And I would hear it in my dad's car. And I just imagined these giant people huddled around a cradle with a screaming baby and they're rocking them <laughs> back and forth while this baby's crying. You know, think about the song and the beat. Yeah, uh, no, I and, I and they're rocking to that stadium beat and the baby's just crying. It terrified me. I that is an image that now I, I can never unsee. <laughs> so this is on the, on the same lines of, you know, you have this droning we don't need them. and then you had these kids singing. Now, can you imagine if I'd actually seen the movie? Oh, where the kids are on the yeah. conveyor belt and they're falling into the meat grinder. Yeah. I would have really been scarred for life. But yeah, this, this in fact, another record my dad had, had The Wall. And so I remember hearing it in the car and the whole album kind of creeped me out a little bit. No dark sarcasm, 
I didn't include it on my main list because maybe it's so obvious. It is a little bit of a criticism um, of, of the educational system. At least that's how most people interpret it. Oh, yeah. Although Roger Waters said it's really more personal. It was about his journey yeah. through boarding school in, in the UK and was not necessarily a reflection of his views on the British educational system. Although Maggie Thatcher didn't like it. Oh, no, a lot of the politicians no. yeah. didn't like it at all. Well, and, you know, he, he said that it was satirical. Um, but I... I question how much of that that is true, but you know the song. It was it was actually very controversial. I, first of all, you have the children's chorus that that sings on the track. They they actually came from a school in Islington, England, uh, which was chosen because it was so close to the studio. Um, there were twenty three kids between the ages of thirteen and fifteen, and they were overdubbed twelve times to make it sound like there were many many more kids singing. Um, the addition of the choir convinced Waters that the song would come together. And, you know, there was there was some controversy um, when it was revealed that the chorus, first of all, did not get paid. Um, it also didn't sit well with teachers that kids were singing an anti-school song. I mean, that, that was uh, on both sides of the pond. Yeah, know? I believe the music teacher hit from the, from the headmaster yeah. hid the lyrics until yeah, after it was exactly. already recorded. Um, and then the chorus finally uh, was given recording time in the studio in exchange for their contribution and the school received 1,000 pounds and and a platinum record but um, yeah no the entire song really came together under producer Bob Erzin he had the idea for the chorus and you know he used the choir kids when he he used the choir kids when he produced Alice Cooper's Schools Out in 72 so he liked to use children's voices on songs um about school specifically. Erzin also suggested the disco beat. He was a fan of the group Cheek. Uh, Cheek? Chic? I'm not Cheek. Sh- Cheek. Cheek, okay. yeah. Um, and, you know, it was completely unexpected from Pink Floyd, who did not make records that you were supposed to dance to. Um, he got the idea for the beat when he was in New York and heard something that Nile Rodgers was doing. Um, when they first recorded the song, it was actually just one verse and one chorus. It, it lasted a whole one minute, 20 seconds. And Erzin wanted it longer, but Waters refused. So while they were gone, Erzin extended it by inserting the kids as the second verse. And then he added some drum fills and he copied the first chorus to the end. And he, he played it for Waters upon their return and Waters actually liked what he heard. So yeah, it, it you know, the song that we know, it uh, largely you, you can thank producer Bob Erzin for, for the outcome, but um no, it, it was on my alternates list, and it was one that I just assumed. See, that's an example that you know neither one of us had we not matched, it just wouldn't have made an appearance. But um, so, no, great choice and very, very, I think expected. And we will include the version from uh, a collection of great dance songs again. It is the original version, but it has the fade in and fade out yeah. that will make our sequence Absolutely. much better than using the wall version. So that's why we're going to use that version. Yep. Okay, well, my next song is by Elton John, and it is titled Teacher, I Need You. Yeah, I didn't choose that song. I, I'm aware of that song. Did, I didn't choose that song. You didn't song. choose no, I, I, I don't like the title. It's, you don't like the title? Sounds, I don't know. It's kind of gross. Well, I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. You're going to love it's my, not one of It's not one of my favorite Elton John yeah, songs. You're going to love my follow-up to it then. All right. Uh, but no, it, written by Elton and Bernie Taupin. The, the song, it, it comes from the 1973 album, Don't Shoot Me, I'm Only the Piano Player. Um, Taupin's lyrics tell of a schoolboy's crush 
on his teacher and is building frustration over his predicament. Um, you know, the, the lyrics, I was sitting in the classroom trying to look intelligent in case the teacher looked at me. She was long and she was lean. She's a middle-aged dream, and that lady means the whole world to me. It's really quite innocent. I mean, it, it, there's not, you know, this is not, uh, you know, nowhere near, you know, the, you know the, the discontent of Don't Stand So Close to Me. Um, but like a number of other songs written by Toppin and John, the, the lyrics make references to American movie stars. So in this case, you've got John Wayne and Errol Flynn, you know, the singer notes that he has John Wayne stances and Errol Flynn advances, but it doesn't mean a doggone thing. Um, and, and the song, it, it actually has been described as a retro rocker. Uh, it sound evokes the music of the 50s and 60s. Uh, Elton John has actually said that his vocal performance in the song was inspired by early 60s teen idol Bobby V. And the song begins with a series of triplets played on the piano. It's a musical motif John often uses. Um, and John's piano playing uh, with fast chord changes, it's kind of reminiscent even of Jerry Lee Lewis. Yeah. And it's on the same album with Crocodile Rock, it is, so that yeah. was kind of... Yeah, Teacher and the, yeah it's, it's, it has that same off-the-cuff buoyancy, actually, of, of Crocodile Rock, and um, the same playful attitude toward a semi-mythic past. Um, it really, it, it's a tidy marriage of clever lyrics and melodic craftsmanship, and it really it makes it one of the undisputed highlights of the album. first songs I thought of and just it's it's just fun it's, yeah. it's one of those songs that I can't help but you know start dancing to so Very good all right so my next alternate that I'm going to choose is uh from social distortion okay is that on your list I'm, no. I'm hoping I didn't take your no. last match okay no you did not uh it came out in 1990 and uh if you were a uh, alternative fan of the time you would know this song uh I mentioned this a while ago for I think it was on, on the Animals episode with Barracuda if you played Guitar Hero 3 which again I would argue is the best Guitar Hero ever made 
Um, Guitar Hero 3 also featured the song. In fact, my wife is not a social distortion fan, but when I was playing this over and over and over again, trying to, to get the highest level on, on Guitar Hero, she became a fan of the song. And it is. It's just a nice little melodic uh, song. Almost, almost it's, it's very poppy. Yes. And, um, you know, because Social Distortion is kind of a cowpunk kind of L.A. scene, you know, band. But, uh, you know, Mike Ness uh, wrote this as kind of an, based on a nostalgic crush that he had for a girl in school, in high school, and kind of how quickly life changed. You know, he, he didn't really do anything to, about the crush. He, he was too scared to talk about last, last week and Billy Joel being afraid of rejection. Right. He never took the steps necessary to try to make a relationship happen and then it was too late and now his life is very different and he just kind of, it's kind of looking back at his life and some of the opportunities maybe that he didn't take advantage of. my radar so. it didn't make my main list because again it, it is about school it's about a school crush on another student you know right um it, it, it's nostalgic so it still fits it just didn't fit as closely as my other choices on the main list yeah no i great choice yeah oh. so if you haven't heard social distortion by the way no you're yeah. gonna enjoy it if, if nothing else I'll, I'll if i try to introduce social distortion to people that aren't fans or haven't heard their music they do a great version of ring of fire Johnny Cash's oh, yeah. Ring of Fire. Yes, they do. Yeah. And that's a great kind of introduction to the band. If you kind of like what they did with that Johnny Cash song, then you'll probably want to keep listening. Yep, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, Teacher I Need You, uh, you know, that's just a school, that's an innocent schoolboy crush. Uh, I'm going to kind of flip to the other extreme here. My next song is by Van Halen, and it is Hot for Teacher. And that's one of my alternates. Okay. Which I put there because, again, it's kind of gross. It is. Yeah. <laughs> but I did, at least but, I put this one on my alternate list. Yeah, but... Because everyone's going to expect um, it, of course. Yeah, I mean, it's just... It is... Oh, it's it's one of their... It's just a rock tune. Well, yeah, tune, right, know? right. Um, I, I like the song. Yeah, it, um, you know, unlike, unlike the romanticized innocence of Elton John's Teacher, I Need You, half of the teacher is unapologetic, <laughs> and it's lustful attraction to the teacher. Um, Eddie Van Halen, he used a Gibson Flying 5 to record this, which allowed him to switch between pickups for the quiet and loud sections. And, you know, 
As for the layered effect at the beginning of the track, Alex Van Halen, he strung together four bass drums. Um, so the rest of it he played using just two, but it, it is one of the greatest examples. I know. Well, how many Hands pop down. songs start with a 30-second drum solo? Exactly, yeah. And, and there's that part of the drum solo that sounds like a Harley idling. Yeah, and that, that's, yeah, it's the... It's awesome. Yeah, it's the greatest example of double bass drumming in, in rock music. I, I stand by that statement. Um, and, and the song is probably best remembered by its video really, which got lots of airplay in the early days of MTV. Sit down, Waldo. Yeah. And David Lee Roth, he co-directed the video, and that's all you need to know. To, I mean, <laughs> that, that explains Hence all... Hence Miss Canada walking around in a bikini yes, in yeah. class. Yeah, that, that explains all the ridiculously beautiful teachers in bikinis, you know, including Donna Rupert, first runner-up in the 81 Miss Canada pageant, which, yeah, he just mentioned. Um, but between shots of the video... Between shots of, of um, you know, the girls... Uh, the video shows the band doing choreographed dance steps under a disco ball. Do you remember that part? Yeah, of yeah, it? yeah, yeah. And um, to me, and I, I even picked up on this as a kid. I don't know. I, I just always picked up on it. Despite numerous attempts, Alex Van Halen just could not. Um, he just couldn't dance. You know, dance. Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> I mean, he could not dance, and he was out of step. The entire video, right? And I, but it's a fun video, so it doesn't well, it matter. Well, but here's the thing: I'm, I'm a drummer, um, and you would think that a drummer who keeps a beat should be able to dance. But I, not necessarily. I, no, I cannot dance. And my wife, I make, play bass and I yeah, can't dance. My, my so. wife makes fun of me incessantly. She, how how can you not dance? How can you not, you know, dance when you can actually keep a beat? And it's like. I just can't. It's different. You know, it's, 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 it's entirely it's, different thing. I have no physical control you know, over exactly. my body. So I, I always felt good about this video for that reason, because here, like me, you had a drummer that right. you know, could not actually dance in, in step, and it just kind of validated yeah. me in that, in that respect. But um, no, Norwegian model Lillian Mueller, she played the part of the sexy chemistry teacher in the song's music video. She was also the the one that was in Rod's, she was Rod Stewart's love interest in Do You Think I'm Sexy? Hmm. Actually, same 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 model. Um, and then she followed her modeling career with a career in personal health, as a personal health consultant and inspirational speaker. But yeah, Hot for Teacher inspired two catchphrases. You already gave us one of them, Sit Down Waldo, and then I Don't Feel Tardy. Right. What was the other one? Um, yeah, Waldo was the young man in the video who didn't fit in. And the do, you know who, do you know who the voiced voice him? of Waldo? Yeah, yeah, it was actually Phil Hartman. Yep. Saturday Night Live. So before his kind of big break. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, it's it's very politically incorrect. I don't think you could get away with it today. Oh, definitely um, not. No. But you know, for its time in its context, it was actually the fourth single off 1984, it was. the record 1984. Yeah, that, that album was hugely and, successful. And uh, because you had uh, you had Jump, and Panama. then you had I'll Wait, Panama, and then Hot for Teacher. Yeah. It was actually the last single they released as a or the original lineup of right. the band. Yeah. Because after this, after that, it was Sammy Hagar. Correct. And, yeah. Um, no, I just. No, nope. you're right. It's it's. Gross. It needs to be on there. No, it was on my alternates list. I yeah. fully expected it to make the list at some point. In fact, yeah. I was going to use it here next. Oh, so, okay. Uh, we're Sorry. we're in agreement there. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's just so much has changed. It's amazing how, and this will always happen. I think in pop culture, you know, certain things seem completely normal, and then society changes and progresses, which it should. Oh, and then we look definitely. back twenty years at certain things and say, "Boy, that didn't really age well." And sometimes, like this, it's I think semi harmless. 
some things are just like, wow, no, we can't. Yeah, yeah well, that's, you that's see not, that especially in film. Right. And I, I think back to so many 80s com like Police Academy. Yeah, well, I, Revenge of the Nerds. Well, Revenge of the Nerds, Dude, you too. Can't, yeah, that yeah. Shit can't be able to be shown again. No. How did we not think that was horribly wrong? Yeah, the, the voyeurism. and but Not the voyeurism. I'm talking about oh, the, the sexual assault yes, the when assault, he yeah. pretends to be her boyfriend and he's yeah, not. yeah. No. But yeah, not, actually, not to mention the voyeurism. I think, I think I actually blocked that out of my mind. They're, they're, they're all yeah, sorts they of things in, wrong they with They go it. into the, uh, what is it, an attraction? It's at a fair or like something. In the, they're on the moon. They're on this, Yeah, like, and he's in he's in the costume. The but past, she thinks it's, it's, it's her boyfriend. Yeah, I mean, that's sexual is, assault. Is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that is, I, that, that's I, my point. Like, I blocked that scene. At the time, memory, nobody yes. thought it was an issue, right. which surprises me. Now, thankfully, people look at that, but you can't ever show that movie again, no. which, which in a, is, a, is, a, is a shame in the sense that it was an entertaining movie with a great premise that I enjoyed. But you're right. It included things that were awful yeah. that should never have oh, been Oh, absolutely. The one, the one for me, though, is the Police Academy films. Yeah, because right, you right, have... Right. You have the scene under the podium, yes, right. But right. but more importantly, it's the it's the way that they treat, uh, you know, when they go into the gay bar, right. especially. Right. Oh yeah. And that would never fly today, and it shouldn't. I mean, it's it's very. So this you know. this one, the hotter for teacher, I put on on the on the side of we can include it. Although I wonder, twenty years from now, we may look back and say, why why did we include that? I don't know. All right, so the last one, you mentioned clicks. This fits right into our last one. And okay. uh, we haven't used any Nirvana yet. No, we haven't. And so I'm choosing one well, way back to their first, uh, I guess it wasn't an EP, it was a full album, but their, their first, their debut album, which never, was, never was Bleach. Mind. Bleach. Oh, Bleach. Yeah, Bleach no, came right. before Bleach, Nevermind. It did, yes, yeah, Nevermind right. was their first big... Uh, yeah, that was the breakthrough. Breakthrough yeah. and, and on a major label. Yeah, Bleach, yeah. Um, but this was uh, from their uh, sub-pop label, um, which was big with the grunge right. uh, scene. And essentially, Kurt Cobain was one of those kids that was an outcast, was bullied in, in, in middle school. In fact, he said in high school, he was so withdrawn, people didn't even pick on him anymore. They just left him alone. Yeah. Um, he, and so we know that's become now this kind of a, of, a, of a type, an archetype of, unfortunately, students that just are not socially engaged. They don't yeah. have a lot of friends. Very they real. don't fit the typical school, and, and they're picked on, and they're bullied, and so forth. And that right. was Kurt. And he 
kind of hoped when he graduated from high school he would be past all of that. And when he got into the, the grunge scene in, in Seattle and all the different bands started to hang out and be signed to this label, he realized the clique still existed. You know, and there were still people that were outcasts and people that weren't accepted and people that were, you know, elevated to popular status, you know, even in the grunge scene. Yeah. And so he wrote this song, School, and it's very simple, probably the most simplistic song that we've had on the podcast yet. Um, there really, there is not a lot to the lyrics, but sometimes minimalism can speak volumes. Oh, yeah. And this question. one does. Another side note that kind of helped influence the song, he could never get over once he started to to play live, and especially since when, when Nirvana started to gain some uh, momentum and became a thing, especially out on the West Coast, that he'd look out into the audience to the people coming to his show, singing along to the songs, and those were the same types of people that, that were beating him up bullying and, and bullying yeah. him in middle school. So this was something that always kind of was a, was a thing for, for Kurt. Yeah. And he writes about it in the, in the song School. So I suppose this would be the closest thing to like pumped up kicks, but in a really minimalistic way. Right. From the perspective of someone who's withdrawn in school. Yeah. No. I, you know, I, I have to admit, I had forgotten all about Bleach. I am, um, yeah, I still listen to Nirvana, um, you know, often, but it's, it's always Nevermind and Utero, MTV Unplugged. I, I can't remember the last time I listened to Bleach. Yeah, it's yeah. just I'd forgotten all about that first album. Um, no, it's a great. No, I'm pick. glad I, I didn't. I, that was my last choice. I didn't think I'd be able to include it. And this, I think, this might be the first time where I used all of my songs. As did I. Yeah. All right. Wow. We matched maybe a little more than we thought we would. Okay. Well, I have one alternate left, but now I'm. I don't even know that I want to use it because I. I I'm thinking now about a song that I had originally left off my list. The song that I have left on my list, it's Cool Kids by Echo Smith. Um, I don't know that song. Yeah, it, it's a newer song. Um, it, it was released in 2013. Um, the song, it tells the story of a boy and a girl who just want to be noticed, uh, the desire to fit in, and they want to be like the cool kids. It, it's, it's, very, it's a very catchy uh, tune. It, it's very much like... Um, very much like Pumped Up Kicks. I mean, it's a similar sound. Um, and it's a great song, and it would fit without question because so many of our kids, our students, desperately want to fit in. Um, but the other song, I'm, I'm kind of torn because there was one that I 
thought long and hard about, and I couldn't decide if it was collegiate or not. And that is No Such Thing by John Mayer. Um, I don't know the song either. You don't know No Such Thing. Nope. No Such Thing is, um, it tells the story of uh, somebody who has since graduated, and he's gone on to college, and you know, it basically, you know, he remembers sitting down with his guidance counselor, and uh, she told him, you know, uh, figure out what you want to do, and you know, here are the credits you need to take, and this will be, you know, that that this is it. And um, he goes off to school, and then he, you know, he has that awakening that no, wait, this is not what life's about. And uh, he says, you know, I can't wait until my ten year reunion. I'm gonna. Uh, you know, basically break through the double doors and tell them there's no such thing as a real world. Um, and it's, I think I'm, I think I'm still going to go with cool kids because I, I've, it's still for me, that would be a better place for, for a graduation mixtape or a collegiate mixtape. So we'll, we'll go Echo Smith. I'll, I'll, I'll keep it K to 12. Um, but certainly on our alternates list. Um, yeah, we'll go ahead and put on John Mayer, no such thing. But cool kids. Um, Echo Smith, of course, they are a South California indie pop band uh, comprised of siblings. You have vocalist Sydney and guitarist Jamie, bassist Noah, and drummer Graham, all Sierra. Um, the group was formed in February of 2009, and they signed to Warner Brothers Records in May 2012. And this dreamy tune, it was the first release from their 2013 debut album, Talking Dreams. Originally, this this song was released as the iTunes Store single of the week. And Cool Kids officially impacted radio the following year. Um, The song subsequently became a sleeper hit. It peaked at number 13 on the Billboard Hot 100, and it received airplay on U.S. modern rock, hot adult contemporary, and contemporary hit radio stations. So it was every format, really, um, outside of country and uh, in, in hip-hop, of course. The, the song tells the story, as I said, a boy and a girl just want to be noticed and want to fit in. And I, it's something all adolescents know well. You know, and we, I, I already mentioned all of this with Scars to Your Beautiful. Um, anyone who remembers the hierarchy of high school and, and just that difficulty in finding your place to sit you know, to eat lunch in the cafeteria, right? Among the many cliques and, you know, well, you'll no doubt agree, you know, it's destined to be included uh, on a back-to-school playlist. It is a fun tune. It's very infectious, very, you know, it's it's a groove that you can't help but kind of start bobbing your head as it plays. So we will stick with my gut and go 
Cool Kids by Echo Smith. Very good. Yeah, you were mentioning the other one, too, is more of an end-of-the-year song. Right. Because I was yes. thinking about Vitamin C's graduation song. Yeah, I that, that was one of the first songs I thought of, and that's when I made the decision... I'd rather do a graduation show right. later. That's the, so, or a graduation It's a good song. It's kind of episode, loosely based yeah. on Canon and D, and it's, I oh, know, a lot of the kids oh, at the time. Yeah, it's a wonderful song. Um, I actually had that album. You wouldn't think I would have the vitamin C. I don't know if she had any more, but I actually had her. I, well, I, I, release. I have the single. I never bought the album, so I don't know what the rest, yeah, is, I liked the rest it. of the yeah, album. It a, I, I considered it a guilty pleasure, which may offend people that feel it's, I'm not saying, and when I say guilty pleasure, it's not, it's not, that doesn't mean that it's not legitimate. It just means that it's so yes. much different than what I would right. normally listen to. That's why I yeah I call it that. Well, I yeah my guilty pleasures are a mixture of both. someday maybe we'll do a guilty pleasure mixed. That would be a good one. Yeah. But we're really going to expose ourselves if, oh, we, yeah. if, if oh, yeah. we do. All right, we are going to take a pause here, and we are going to title the episode. We are going to sequence the songs. We'll do a quick round of soundtrack, and then we'll be out of here. And we're back. We have a title and a sequence for our back to school mixtape. Alan wanted to tell them why, uh, what, and why we decided to title. All right. Well, we uh, this is another week where we have titled our mixtape with a song that is not on the playlist. Um, we have decided to use uh, "High School Never Ends" by Bowling for Soup. Um, I I thought of the song this for this week, but again, "High School Never Ends." I was thinking graduation and beyond uh but the song i think it, it fits perfectly because here we are two high school friends years removed and what are we doing we're talking about high school so yes. yeah high school never ends in fact you, know, you can make the argument we graduated only to return to school you know we're teachers well, and so and have you noticed i'm sure it's the same in your building to a much less harmful degree the teachers are still like the students in terms of their social groups. Oh, oh, yes, yes. In terms of who eats lunch with whom, yep. Who hangs out after school, maybe, or in the hallways, or where? Just look, go to a staff meeting and see where people sit. Yeah, and it's the cafeteria all over. It, again. it is, and I, I love my coworkers. In fact, we we actually at, at the middle school um, we get along fantastically, and, and you know the morale is very high. Everyone's very welcoming, but we still do have that familiarity and we, we have those groups that we feel most comfortable with. I mean, it, it, yeah, high school never ends. I mean, never it's just, ends. <laughs> um, and, you know, just like, like, and you see it too with the administration because, you know, when you get that email saying, uh, from the principal saying, we need to talk, uh, it's just an immediate flashback to when you're a student and... Got to go to the principal's gotta office. Got to go to the principal's. I, it's the, you know, the feeling is... And we're still bound by bells. We yes. still only get a half an hour for lunch. Yep. Yeah, nothing, nothing has changed. So, High School Never Ends is the title to this week's mixtape and uh, therefore the, the title to this week's episode. So, our sequence. Are we ready? We're ready. All right. Side A, folks. We begin with School Day by Chuck Berry. And we follow that with Wonderful World by Sam Cooke and To Be True to Your School by The Beach Boys. So, we have a nice uh, retro uh, feel going there in the first three songs. From there, we move on to Foster the People with Pumped Up Kicks, followed by Cool Kids by Echo Smith, and then Scars to Your Beautiful by Alessia Cara, The Logical Song by Supertramp, Another Brick in the Wall Part 2 by Pink Floyd, followed by School, Nirvana, and 
We end side A with Story of My Life by Social Distortion. I like what we did there because we were able to not only musically have them flow nicely among it, but there are little pockets of, of thematic yeah, oh. thematic blocks throughout. Oh, there. yeah. I had Logical Song, Another Brick in the Wall, largely the same songs. I mean, um, you know, I, Cool Kids and Scars to Your Beautiful, both, you know, very much about wanting... Right around Pumped Up Kicks. I mean, it all kind yeah. of fits. Yeah, yeah. no, it, it's, it, it's pretty seamless. All right, so side B, we begin with Welcome Back by John Sebastian. That, of course, was the theme from Welcome Back, Cotter. And we're welcoming him back to the second side of yep. the mixtape, if, if this were an actual if cassette were, tape. Yeah, if this were a cassette tape. Uh, that then leads to Flowers Are Red by Harry Chapin, Closer to Fine by the Indigo Girls, Followed by Lunch Lady by who? Land. By who? By Indigo Girls. <laughs> I'm always going gonna to do that every time. <laughs> you are, and I, I you know, I, I should be on. It I, says right there. I Indigo really, Girls. yeah, I really should be prepared for it now, but you, you catch me <laughs> off guard every time you do it. Um, all right, so Closer to Find by Indigo Girls. Lunch Lady Land uh, is next by Adam Sandler. Then Teacher, I Need You by Elton John. Rock and Roll High School by The Ramones. Followed by The Future So Bright, I Gotta Wear Shades by Tim Buck Three. That leads into Hot for Teacher by Van Halen. And then Smoking in the Boys Room by Brownsville Station. And very appropriately, we end Side B, last track of our playlist, with Teacher Teacher by 38 Special. It is uh, thematically and by sound, by lyric, this... This may be one of the best this is really, playlists that we've, we've made. Really it's, good playlist. I yes. thought we had a really good discussion on some of the hot button issues in education today. Yeah. Uh, in between the songs. So um, I think teachers out there should enjoy this episode. Oh, I, I agree. Um, our alternates list is you have one alternate remaining with Steely Dan. I Steely think, Dan, sure. uh, my old school, right. which is more collegiate, but and more just kind of hanging out right. in college. But. Um, we mentioned a few songs, but really that's the only alternate left for the alternate playlist so it's it's largely going to be comprised of songs that we just talked about mentioned songs and we'll find some yeah oh yeah yeah um all right so it is time for our soundtrack session um or segment soundtrack segment of of the episode Uh, i went first last time so bring it bring it to me you just developed a new affinity for mountain climbing and you I went, did. <laughs> you did, and, and you went, um, you went over to Nepal, and you actually scaled um, and summited Mount Everest. What song do you play while you watch the sunrise from the peak? I could go real uh, old school and you know choose the sound of music. The hills are alive. <laughs> um, I don't want to do that. <laughs> no, I feel like they're. Has to be something that better defines me. Um, okay, the mountains. Um, I'm not a country fan, but you do have mountain music by Alabama. Yeah. You have. Uh, why can't I think of mountain songs? From well, rock? you could you could go with sun. It's a, it's oh, a that's sunrise. True. That's true. You could um, go with uh, some type of Zen motif because you know you're in Nepal and you're. Yeah. You could, it's really cold up there and there's lack of oxygen. That's so. true. Um, you take my breath away, <laughs> Berlin. Um, no, let's work with the sunrise. I'm watching the sunrise from the from the top of Everest, right? Um, how about it's a beautiful morning? Yeah, there you go. By uh, the the rascals. Perfect. It's a beautiful morning. Yeah. yeah, I or a lovely day by Bill Withers. Which one would I go with? Let's go. It's a beautiful morning. Beautiful morning. You don't, you don't want the, the, the 
farm, barn animals of Good Morning, Good Morning from the Beatles to that John Lennon uh, wrote after watching a cornflakes commercial. Right. Yeah. No. I. You know. <laughs> there are times that I play that in my classroom when the kids are walking in for homeroom just to wake them up. But um, now, if I'm on Everest, I don't think I'm worried about a doctor coming out and telling me that you know uh, a loved one has passed. That, that especially <laughs> as I have the decline of Everest right, right, ahead right, of me. Right, um, right. No. Well, we'll go. It's a beautiful morning. I mean, Perfect. It's, you know, okay. sun. And um, we'll put that on our alternate list. That'll be a mentioned song. Yeah. Yeah, we could start doing that, actually. Yeah. All right, here we go. Land it, and you will be known as the greatest stuntman ever. Crash, and it's certain death in a fireball of twisted metal and broken hearts. What song do you play as you hit the gas? I know this is kind of a cop-out because we used it on a previous episode, but, but Born to be Wild. Born to be Wild? Yeah. It, it, it's fitting. Because yeah. If, yeah, if I'm hitting... I'm hitting the gas, and I got to rev myself up and psych myself up. Yeah, born to be wild. No, it makes perfect sense. You know, I'm. What would I pick for that? I might choose "Ready to Go" by uh, oh, who, who performed Republica. Do you know that song? I don't. I don't know. Um, it's the one that they always play. If you've ever been to Cedar Point, folks, it's the one that they always play just as the top throw drags. Oh, I hate that because of off. that. Yeah, um, but no, born to be wild. That makes. Because I've heard that choice. I've heard that little bit of song so many times waiting in line for that ride. Well, in the context, in the context, well, in the context of the the, the complete. No, I know, song, no, it's, no, yeah, right. It's yeah. just I, a, I've never heard the complete song. That's all. Really? Yeah, no. yeah. No, it's a, it's a great tune, rocking tune. Um, no, born born to be wild is perfect. You you nailed that one. All right, so um, that concludes another episode of the Gen X podcast. And I must admit, I have no idea what we're doing next week. Next week, we are doing black and white. Yes. Black and white. And that's an interesting departure now because we're it not going to have yes. any matches. No, we will not have matches. We don't need an alternate list. We won't have an alternate list. And, well, unless we have an artist match. Oh, that's a good point. You might have to have just a couple in case. Yeah. that, that There's an alt, there's I a didn't artist think match. think about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. This is a totally. Uh, this is a new, a new uh, thing for us. A departure from our usual, uh, our usual preparation. Uh, we're doing black and white. That it, first of all, it's not a racial. Um, and, and emphasis. And we agree we're not including Michael Jackson. Yes, okay. no Michael Jackson. Um, but basically, I am going to. I, I, I am going to choose ten songs with black in the title, and Dave is going to choose ten songs with white in the title and we're just going to see how it plays out yeah i don't know if we're going to alternate as we that would be cool list okay. our songs or if one song is or if one side of the yeah, mixtape is black too. the other right. white but um it's going to be interesting i we just i i don't know it's going to be fun i i i actually found um my 10 black songs very quickly um there there were others that i thought about using but my first 10 just and I, I was sure i've never been so sure of a list. This has nothing to do with race, people. They're going to no, see. Yeah. They're, they're going to see that and think it's race. Yeah, really. no, no, it's no, not. No, not. We were going to do a colors episode, but we thought we'd start first with just black and white, and then maybe do a colors episode later. Yeah, um, yeah. We'll we'll get to Roy G. Biv at a later time, but um, no, the black and white. It's. I don't know if you've picked your songs yet. Mine, mine I have, though. I have. I just yeah. forgot what was up next. Week. Yeah, they. Uh, mine came very. It might have been the easiest playlist I've I've made. Mine's going to be pretty eclectic, though. Yeah, mine. Mine is not as eclectic as some in the past, but it's it's definitely going to be a fun show. Um, but but that's 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 it. Um, again, thank you to our sponsor, Jay Callahan Painting. 
find them on Facebook for all of your painting needs. And our newest sponsor is Affordable Entertainment. Now they um, they do have a website that you can go to. They they uh, it's it's a DJ service. They they also have photo booth rentals available. But very specifically, I want to call attention to their live trivia, Affordable Entertainment live trivia every Tuesday night. On Facebook, you can find this. They hold uh, a trivia game online and um, definitely uh, worth your time. Um, every week, the, the winner uh, receives a $50 uh, prize and it's free to play. And, you know, it, it, it's definitely, uh, you know, a, a wonderful way. They, they, uh, Affordable Entertainment began this uh, right as lockdown occurred in March and it's going strong still so you know what have you got to lose $50 prize and you know people can play against each other in their own household and you don't have to play on a team if you don't want of course um, they're also looking for uh, locations to do live remotes so if you own a business uh, you know in, in the greater Cleveland area Stark County and then the surrounding uh, area um, you know you can certainly uh, Give them a ring. The uh, Affordable Entertainment would be more than happy to come out to your uh, location and, and do a live remote of the trivia game. Um, so categories change every week and, and private events are available if you want to host your own uh, trivia event. But Affordable Entertainment Live Trivia, please look them up on Facebook. And we, we are very grateful for both of our sponsors. I have nothing more to say. Nothing more to say. We spoke quite a bit. We're over two hours here. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, next week, well, next week might be very, it might be shorter. We'll see. Because you don't have the alternates or the matches. Or, right. You know, and we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um, all right. So goodbye, right. everybody. Hot and funk, cool punk, even if it's old junk, another mix of memories awaits next Sunday. Yes. And for now, press pause, lift the needle, and hit eject. But we will see you on the flip side. 